Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Matt O'Dell and two members of the Square Crypto team, MonsterPod here. Two hours, 20 minutes. We sat down with Matt Corallo, who you freaks know if you've been listening to this podcast for quite some time. He's been on many times. This is his fourth appearance, I believe. And he was joined by Val Wallace, uh, who was formerly at Lightning Labs and is now working at Square Crypto to help build out their Lightning development kit, which they announced last week. Uh, if you guys checked out uh, Stefan Levera's episode with Steve Lee over the weekend, this is a great follow-up episode to that. We uh, expand on a lot of the same topics that they talked about, as well as some other things like Stratum B2, Dev Incentives, and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of other nebulous topics in the Bitcoin world. Uh, I think you guys are really going to like this, uh, especially if you remember Matt's uh, first appearance on the podcast when he gave Bitcoin a 5% chance of succeeding uh, in the future. Uh, again, that was two years ago. We get an update on that probability in this episode, and I'm very interested to see how you freaks react to that. Uh, this episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. As you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money, and now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. You freaks already know all about this if you've been listening to this podcast, all right? Uh, they're letting you stack stonks now, okay? And not only that, they're letting you stack slivers of stonks if you don't have enough money to buy a whole stonk of your favorite company, you can buy as little as $1. Again, we're stacking slivers of stonks on the Cash App now. Because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers, so you can start investing today. And again, you don't have to stack the stonks if you don't want to. You can just keep stacking sats and leave the stonks alone. Optionality freaks is there. And brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary square, and member SIPC. As always, use the code STACKINGSATS, that's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, STACKINGSATS, you're going to get $10, and Cash App is going to send $10 to Owls Lacrosse in Chicago, our great friends at Owls Lacrosse. So download the Cash App from the App Store or Google Play Store today, and enjoy this episode. Uh, it was a banger. Two hours, 20 minutes, Friday night beers, great times, great people, great conversation. Enjoy. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent. We're here on a Friday night. Big crew, four-person podcast. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got somebody who's been on the most tenured guest on the podcast, Matt Corrala. What's going on? Not much. You are number four for you. You're 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 uh four, wow. climbing the stat board. We've got uh Val Wallace as well. Hi. Welcome. Two members of Square Crypto team. Big announcement this week for you guys. And of course we got Matt O'Dell. What's up, freaks? Um we already know about Macarello, we already know about Matt O'Dell. We don't know much about Val Wallace. Val, how the hell did you find Bitcoin and find yourself at Square Crypto? Uh, <laughs> very good question. Um, I got into Bitcoin my senior year of college, um, a little bit late, and I was just looking for something cool to do. I had already accepted a job at Microsoft, but like I thought that was kind of lame. So, <laughs> so yeah. So then I found Lightning Labs, applied to them, pretty much started working there right after I graduated. Um, so I was working on their app at first, and then I switched to more backend stuff, some L and D. I did a monitoring project for them. Um, and then a few months ago, I started at Square Crypto. And uh, 
yeah, here we are. So for you personally, are you more interested in just the tech of it all or um, the, the revolutionary aspect of it? Or? Definitely both, but I'd say I don't know as much about the econ of it and I'm super into the tech of it, which is um, what initially inspired me that combined with the whole permissionless and everything. Um, I got into it initially through Andres Antonopoulos, so as you can imagine, that's a very uh, inspiring, visionary way of getting into it, one could say, so <laughs> that's the route there. Yeah, his YouTube videos are very big bull porn. Indeed. Um, all jacked up. <laughs> um, yeah, so Square... Like, we should get those broadcasts at Times Square to oh. pump up the price. Uh, yeah, we, there what? were, we like, they had Tron, they had Tron advertisements. They had EOS in Times Square too. Yes, it was EOS. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we could, uh, I think Matt, we're going to switch to you now because you, uh, have a very unique experience. You've been at Blockstream, you've been in, uh, chain code and now you're at Square Crypto. You've been through them all. I'm just trying to make sure that the conspiracy about controlling Bitcoin continues to follow <laughs> any group of developers <laughs> that exists anywhere. It's very important. Bcashers uh, are kind of losing their salt this week, oh. so we got to make sure that we give them lots of conspiracy to focus on. You don't think the 12.5% dev tax is... Uh, <laughs> is it's... Oof. Is that... the uh, Yeah, the conspiracy chain is not going to include that, is it? No, I don't think so. Oh. I don't think I don't think we're gonna. Oh, this is a t- well. Staying on this though, like, what is? Are you very like hopping from team to team to team? Like, are you encouraged that uh, Unchain or excuse me, uh, Chain Code came after Blockstream and now Square uh, has risen uh, from the abyss as well? Is this a, a good sign about uh, Bitcoin funding, Dev funding in particular? Yeah, definitely. Um, over the last maybe two three years uh we've seen a big uptick in the ability of people working on projects like bitcoin core and more kind of back-end low-level stuff in bitcoin to get funding uh and it's not just the big names uh, that you hit um it's also a number of smaller one-offs there's a number of exchanges that do one-off grants there's a number of individuals that have uh granted just one individual um to work on Bitcoin Core, either full-time or temporarily. So we've seen a big uptake in that. It's been really good, really good momentum there. Yeah, no, it's, it's very encouraging. Why do you think, why does Square, uh, why has Square amassed this team? Right, I think we're a little different, right? We're not necessarily just trying to focus on Bitcoin Core, uh, kind of maintaining the ecosystem, which is really critical work. Uh, our mandate's a little more grow the ability of kind of consumer level Bitcoin adoption, grow kind of how easy it is to get into that, how big the pie is there, so that hopefully when the pie gets large enough, Square can kind of do more than just dipping its toe in the water and, you know, really support Bitcoin through a lot of its products. Um, Not a short term goal, but certainly, you know, if we do our job right, Bitcoin consumer level adoption is going to be, at least the UX is going to be way better. It's going to be much easier to get consumers onboarded and for for people to really use this stuff, uh, and then hopefully that'll make it easier also for Square as a company to use the stuff. Yeah. So our mandate's very different in that sense. Yeah, and so this is a big week for you guys. You guys announced what you're going to be working on, the Lightning Development Kit, uh, before we get to why, or not why you picked that, before we get to what that is, why did you pick it? So the um, 
the team was announced what in the fall uh, and mm-hmm. you guys have been together for a few months now what what was the few months leading up to this announcement like well it was val's idea i'm gonna let val take that one <laughs> okay <laughs> don't blame this on me matt um you get all the blame okay but i hope it goes well right <laughs> Um, well, the first week we started off with a retreat, and then after that we basically spent the following few months doing a combination of trying to pick a project and just kind of contributing to open source. Like Jeff was doing a bunch of Bitcoin core work. I was kind of ramping up on Rust Lightning. Matt was doing like all of his various projects, et cetera. So, and then we kind of ultimately settled on the LDK project and then We've been spending a little bit of time since the new year just kind of preparing to announce, I feel like. So is that fair to say? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we we explored a few other projects as well. Um, Certainly Jeff uh, spent a bunch of time with some of the folks who do more privacy related like CoinJoin and uh, that kind of work and tried to investigate like, you know, can we make a big difference here if we add some real development resources? Can we get kind of broader uptake? And, you know, we had some ideas of where to go with that, but I think we decided that that might not have been as big an impact as, say, trying to make Lightning way easier to embed uh, in more interesting ways, right? So not just take LND and run it, but, like, actually making it easy to embed both in existing wallets and uh, kind of cross more interesting wallets. Um, You know, it, it... took a bunch of like we spent a bunch of time looking at a bunch of a few other things but ultimately i think we decided that, that might have been bigger impact or might be bigger impact in the long term right like we looked at snicker in a lot of detail but there were a lot of weird difficulties there that you kind of wouldn't expect like it doesn't work with watch only wallets because somehow the coin join transactions mm-hmm. just aren't apparent yeah. for whatever reason um yeah, you have to have the private key to kind of detect it as yours. Uh, so, it, so Snicker, like, it's great, but there's just a lot more meat there than it looks like. Like, the idea is really simple and straightforward, uh, and then you dig into it, and there's a lot of meat there so that Sn- I think we just didn't want to dive into. Snicker's Adam Gibson's thing, right? Yeah. And that's you broadcast a transaction uh, that you want to coin join with somebody else, and they can accept that and coin join with you, right? Essentially, right, yeah. You literally just look at the UTXO set. You say, hey, this UTXO looks good. I want to coin join with that UTXO. But the pub key needs to be exposed, right? Yeah, the pub key needs to Well, hopefully with Schnorr's app root, we'll get that soon. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but the theory is you look at the UTXO set, you say, ah, that UTXO looks great, and you maybe pay them a small fee, but you broadcast a pre-signed transaction, and if they want to take that small fee they can just broadcast it sign their half and broadcast it um, yeah right so in theory you can make some money and get more privacy um yeah sounds like it would win yeah so that it seems it needs like a gui or something right yeah. right we were looking at it more in the angle of you know especially for something like that you need really really broad adoption uh so we were looking at it more in the angle kind of the way we've been looking at LDK of you know building a library and trying to get it integrated across wallets. Um, you can see how we ended up on similar <laughs> thinking on both of those, but yeah, yeah. We also looked at PayJoin, which I think we still think is cool, but then we're considering it more as like a potential dev grant type thing rather than our entire project, I guess. I'm yeah. There's a lot of resources going into it already, um, but it it's another thing where there's surprisingly more meat than you think. Uh, and we didn't necessarily know that we as a small team could 
of have an outsized impact. Yeah, I feel like pay join is very necessary, especially yeah. giving a uh, Bitcoin's current uh, restraints as a uh, fungibility restraints, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like we really we ended up looking at kind of two avenues: Lightning and privacy, and then. We still feel very strongly in favor of building privacy stuff, but just harder to have an outsized impact in the short term. Well, could uh, could building out Lightning and making Lightning easier to use help privacy in a roundabout way? Right. Well, that was certainly one of the reasons we ended up working on LDK. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about LDK. What does a Lightning development kit look like? What are what are the parts? What are you guys looking to build? Um. Yeah. So. The intention is really build, you know, really a development kit, right? So existing ways you integrate Lightning with a wallet, either you uh, have the ability to connect to a remote C Lightning or LND node, or uh, you run LND on the device, but it's like, you know, here's the entire wallet and everything, full stack, you run it as is. There's just not a lot of flexibility there. Uh, C Lightning has a little more flexibility with its plugin architecture, which uh, you can do a lot with, but you're still stuck in kind of a very, uh, well, you're going to run the whole thing as a series of daemons on your server. Uh, the thing's just not really targeted at much else. Um, Eclair's a little different. Uh, it, the, the async thing is a little more library-focused, but... Even but has other restrictions. So even still, you know, all of these things are very monolithic. Here's the thing: you take it, you run it as is, and the options that are exposed are the ones you can customize, and nothing else. Yeah. So our intention is flip that on its head and say, well, we're just going to expose little pieces, and they're all going to work together great. And you can kind of take them all and plug them all into each other and run, and you'll have a simple Lightning node, and that's fine. Um, if you're going to do that, you probably just want to run LND or C Lightning or whatever. Uh, but if you want to do something crazy, if you want to run your entire Lightning stack on a hardware wallet, if you want to run uh, your Lightning stack in a web browser with uh, access to your hardware wallet who has the keys, if you want to run uh, your Lightning stack and synchronize across multiple devices where you open the same wallet on multiple devices, um, and they just synchronize the state, and it's no problem. Uh, all of these things are like things that it's not trivial to do today, uh, and I think is going to be very much required going forward if we want to see real, usable, interesting, creative Lightning wallets that get built. Says so the keyword here: interoperability. Is that even a word? Did I just say a word? Uh, flexibility. Flexibility. I think the keyword's flexibility. Flexibility. Um, all right, so how do, you, how do you guys start on this? We have multiple different focuses, kind of. Um, we want to have a big emphasis on encouraging external contributors so that the project can kind of live beyond us. So we're kind of doing a lot of work right now to kind of refactor and make it very friendly for new contributors, improving documentation. Um, I'm working on integrating a formatter which Matt is not a big fan of, but <laughs> the rest of the team is a fan of. <laughs> What's your beef with formatters? Uh, you can, if you can't format your own code while you write it, what are you doing writing code? That sounds, whew, sounds like an elitist coder Someone, right yeah, there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm a curmudgeon if you haven't noticed. Oh, oh I know, <laughs> I know. 
Um, right. But then we also obviously want to, like Matt said, double down on what makes us unique. We don't want to be just another repeat of the other implementations, because then what are we adding? So what's kind of cool about being a library is, like he said, the, these two cool use cases fall out of it, which is um, a big one is integrating into existing Bitcoin wallets, which is not really possible with the other implementations, at least as far as I know. And um, also the way Rust Lightning is architected, um, kind of the channel management is separated from what you need to monitor on chain, which is kind of cool because like he said, you can run a bunch of channel management on a hardware wallet, but then have a bunch of different servers monitoring your channels to make sure that you're not getting screwed over, basically. So you can have different levels of security that way as well. More granularity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, and it makes a big difference on mobile too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, our focus in the immediate term is uh, we started with, with Rust Lightning, which is an, a project that's been around for a while, but just kind of always been beta, like kind of a hobby project. Um, and A, building it out, uh, getting it, you know, really super up to snuff, um, but then also building out examples and language bindings so it's easy to integrate in any platform you want and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot more to it than just that. It's a lot of kind of working with potential users of it. Uh, to help them integrate it and help them kind of get started with Lightning or with Rust Lightning. Um, yeah. So when Lightning first launched, and probably still today, people say it's it's reckless to use. Like, uh, It seems like a pretty big commitment to be focusing on Lightning uh, specifically. A lot of people will say it's still an experiment. It may not work out in the future. Uh, it seems like you guys deciding to focus on it uh, means you're pretty confident in the future of Lightning and, and its success. Do you think it is uh, a, the second layer solution that people will use um, for quick, fast transactions? That was kind of my big pitch when I, because I wanted to work on something Lightning related, and that was basically the argument. Like, if we all agree that Lightning is going to be the scaling solution and that scaling is the big thing for Bitcoin adoption and we want Bitcoin adoption, then kind of anything we do for Lightning would be really good for Bitcoin. Um, yeah. And especially the instant transaction solution. Yeah, I mean, I think there are open questions as to how far Lightning scales, but it's clear it scales better than Bitcoin today, than like on-chain transactions. And in my mind, possibly more importantly, the instant transactions UX and feel is just, you know, especially when our mandate is very consumer focused, like build consumer ability to use Bitcoin, instant payments that just work is really the name of the game. Well, that's like one thing we talk a lot about like a lot of people shit on lightning but i'm an avid lightning user just because we have our site we accept lightning payments and uh, set up with btc pay and uh zap and therefore i could send lightning payments too and via the business like i bought a book for 60 dollars a couple of weeks ago and it took less than a second like and it, it works a lot of people like to shit on lightning and say it doesn't work it's nobody's using it a lot of people like to say nobody's using it i use it obviously i'm uh, probably uh, more advanced than your average user, but it 
to me at least, it seems like the the vision is coming together and it is becoming useful. You do have to uh, put the sunk cost of setting your node up and doing your channel management. Uh, but once you have that, like it's been cruise control for me for like six to eight months right now. Right, and that's part of the part of what we want to get rid of is you know, all of the onboarding pain. And, and also, you know, a lot of people have Bitcoin wallets. A lot of people aren't, you know, going to go install a second Lightning wallet that's a whole separate wallet. Uh, a lot of people have cryptocurrency wallets that aren't just Bitcoin, and those don't support Lightning and probably are never going right. to. Um, th- there's just a lot of UX hurdles that exist today in terms of getting into Lightning, Um, You know, we've spoken to a bunch of uh, various wallets who are trying to, who have Lightning wallets, um, who are playing around with the kind of risk scoring of unconfirmed transactions to allow people to start sending and receiving payments instantly before the initial uh, transaction confirms, which, you know, it's risk scoring. It's not 100% safe, but if you can do appropriate risk scoring, maybe it makes sense. Um, and you know, stuff like this is really hard to do with the existing lightning nodes. Uh, you know, we were speaking to some of them who were talking about, yeah, we have patches for existing lightning nodes that we've been maintaining for a year or two. Like it's just kind of a pain in the ass. Right. And part of the goal of having something more flexible is to enable people who want to build interesting wallets, to enable people who want to build interesting user experiences on Bitcoin to, do it on Lightning in a really easy way that handles a lot of the complexity for them, but also exposes enough complexity that they can choose to do things that are, you know, otherwise quote unquote unsafe. But maybe if they require that it's installed on a system that they have some remote attestation that it's quote unquote a safe system, you know, maybe that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, and another thing too is like going back to like people saying lightning's not fleshed out and ready. Like obviously it's not fleshed out. As developers building this out, like how do you help temper uh, non-developer expectations? Like people want everything out of the box. Like do you think where lightning is today is has surpassed or uh, come up short of your expectations when it launched? Like are you happy with the the development that's been going on, the pace of development, and how do you? Uh, get through to people that like, this is going to take time? That's a tough question. I, I'm always really tempted to just shill, 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 like <laughs> talk about what's coming um, as if it's coming soon. Um, but I feel like the people that really get it aren't saying those types of things. And a lot of people were saying that Lightning was total vaporware that was never going to happen. And now there are thousands of nodes on the network. And I guess I also just never really interact with those people. Like I'm just going to Bitcoin meetups where they're showing the number of lightning nodes increasing like practically linearly or exponentially. So. And we've been following, we're almost at 40% of uh, Tor nodes. Tor nodes. It's yeah. Tor capacity tour actually. Capacity. Percentage yeah. of Tor capacity. Yeah. On lightning? Yeah. Yeah. Where at least one side is a Tor node. Yeah. Asterix. Um, I have a question. So Russ lightning, uh, that was an interesting choice. Um, we're gonna right now. I guess we have five implementations of Lightning. If you include what Electrum's doing with their Python implementation, 
Has that been released yet? Uh, I mean, it's beta, I think, right? They released I think it's something. In the what you can like turn it on, but you have to like opt into it with like a command line flag or something crazy. Okay, that's not gonna last, right? I don't know. Um, not Electrum specifically. The fact that we oh. have five implementations. Do do you see one implementation? Like right now, LND is dominating, right? They have like seventy percent or something of the network. If I was just gonna, I pulled that out of my ass, but right. it's somewhere around well, there. I, I mean, I don't know, but there's certainly, there's room for different types of implementations. Whether there's room for different implementations that are kind of the same quote-unquote category, I don't know, uh, right? So uh, implementation, like, Rust Lightning LDK is, like, way more flexible. It's a very different model of a Lightning node. I don't think that's at all in competition with LND, C Lightning, um, nor do we want to be, you know, certainly if, if we Square Crypto have like an open budget to go work on something useful for Bitcoin, competing with other companies is not right. an interesting thing for us to do. Um, so I don't think it's at all in competition. Now, whether C Lightning and LND are in competition, I think might be a little bit of a different question. Uh, and we'll see how they develop. Certainly having multiple Lightning implementations that don't each have their niche is probably not sustainable because eh, why um if only because developers will get bored because they're not like providing real value yeah yeah the only case i could see is like when we've been we've been talking to a lot of wallet developers and some of them just really have not in-house mentalities where they only want to use software that basically they wrote themselves so i could Mm. i could sort of see like maybe if a wallet was extremely picky about that they just are the only ones using their own implementation. But like Electrum. Yeah, like, right. a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but. <laughs> well, I think right. in hindsight, Electrum maybe is not happy. Like, ultimately, Electrum might be a good example of why Rust Lightning or LDK should exist is because here's Electrum, they would love to have integrated something. Right. Uh, Thomas said so as much, said as much, but there was nothing that was integratable. Like, C Lightning, LND, Async, none of these were really practical to take off the shelf integrate an electrum in a way that didn't create a whole second wallet beside the user's regular wallet which is just a terrible user experience yeah so this is something i'm still like a little confused about like why why is that like why at this point just because there's multiple implementations like it's hard to form fit lightning on an already existing wallet or well, none of the existing Lightning implementations were written to support that use case. Okay. Uh, and it's super hard to take something that was not written that way and kind of redo it. Unless you kind of stop other development and just are like, well, we're going to focus on completely rewriting all of the internals and make it support kind of external wallets and external whatever and running on hardware wallets and mobile and whatever the hell. And that's just not something that any of the Lightning implementations have kind of time to do right now because they have a lot of features coming down the pipeline. They've got a lot of user experience, you know, issues here and there to fix. So, yeah, it's just hard to kind of take something that wasn't written for that and rewrite it for that. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. How, like, building all this stuff on the go. Like, how much... How much tech debt is there uh, to right. overcome? Though, arguably, I feel like it could be on some of their roadmaps, probably. Um, so that could be a thing. Yeah. 
it's just difficult, I think, kind of backporting it in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, let's shift to um, like how your team works. So you guys got um, you two, obviously. You have uh, Steve, and you've got somebody uh, in a certain time zone. We don't know uh, where <laughs> he or she is. Uh, and a couple of others working on this. Like, what is what is the – you guys have stand-ups every week? Like, how does this work? So we – me, Arik, Jeff, Matt, and Steve have a stand-up every week. But then the people that we've given developer grants to, like ZM and XCPSJ, um, he's... Oh, how do you have that memorized? I could be one character No, off. I think you're right. Yeah, but I think I'm right, too. Do <laughs> Take her word for it. <laughs> I don't know. Or Z-Man, whatever you want. Z-Man, I like That's Z-Man. easy to remember. Yeah, that's, that's easier. Um, they aren't part of the meetings because they kind of just work independently. And we're not going to meet with the whole BTC Pay server team every <laughs> week. So <laughs> there you go. Right, the grants are independent, so we, there's, there's kind of two wholly separate parts of Square Crypto. Um, so you guys have sort of what you guys are doing with Steve and um, who else? You say Jeff and Arik. Jeff and Arik. But um, we all like are kind of allergic to meetings. I feel like so right. we try to keep it to a bit of a minimum. I guess. Yeah. What's uh What's it like working with Steve? Steve's great. Love uh, Steve. Steve is a fucking beast. Steve actually uh, helped me. Uh, uh, fact check something in the newsletter today Moneyball. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah no he he that guy has so much shit going on <laughs> and just like mostly gets through it he's underwater a little bit most of the time uh but he no he's great uh he's went and hit the road and spoke to every everyone he could find who was in the lightning space about like hey you know we're thinking about this hell LDK thing? Does it make sense? Do you think we should focus on it? Should we do something else? I uh, got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, he's been trying to deal with the influx of grant uh, people who want grant money. They're, uh, he's trying to keep Optech going, uh, helping out with that. It's not just him, it's a few other folks, but he's helping out with that. He's uh, also trying to hire a designer. We're trying to hire somebody to kind of just help improve design across especially open source bitcoin wallets um casually ran like an 80 person schnorr taproot workshop for eight <laughs> right. weeks just yeah. on the side in on his spare side. time uh, well that was on very side, very like productive projects very productive yeah that guy's a fucking beast yeah he's insane um not like the um you mentioned schnorr taproot i'm just pumped at those bips got numbers this week um what do you think Who's gonna pre- who's gonna pre- uh, present the activation path? Is it gonna be you, Matt? I think we decided. There's an activation path. No one complained too loudly. Wasn't that for your other? That was for proposal? the consensus cleanup, right? No, 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 yeah. no, no. That was that was for whatever, but largely motivated by Schnoy Taproot. All right, so let's talk about it. You so you wrote on the dev mailing list. What was it? Two weeks ago at this point. Three yeah, about then. Yeah. So BIP nine. If that doesn't work, six month waiting period, and then BIP eight. Essentially, um, there's a lot of detail there that's worth reading. Uh, if people are into this kind of thing, uh, there's kind of a, a list of the goals, which I think is important to keep in mind here because there's a lot of kind of discussions that lose that. But yeah, the, the intention is really, look, BitBait checks 
all the boxes on goals except for the kind of obvious one of like well what if the miners are like screw you even though literally everyone else is like yeah but kind of this is good that'll never um, happen though no that's that's never happened in the past ever <laughs> <laughs> never happened uh anyway so the you know so it checks all the boxes in that category and so there's kind of like a let's just do that right. first because if we can then let's do it and then if that doesn't work we'll stop will use that process, the process of, of releasing the fork with BIP9 parameters and, and watching the community's response to as feedback for, yeah, really, that's what's going on. And then we'll move forward and say, all right, look, BIP8 sucks. It has a lot of risks to it ecosystem-wise. But if we really do it over a long period of time, we would de-risk that a lot. So let's just go for it uh, and take a really conservative timeline. But if we have to, you know, that's your conservative timeline was what? 42 months, Uh, two years after the six month time horizon plus a year for BIP nine. So yeah, total 42. Yeah. Uh, 42. It's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) It's flawless. So for the freaks out there, can we uh, uh, define BIP nine and BIP eight and how they're different? Right. Don't don't forget to bring a towel, though. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew. (laughs) He's cracking himself up. So BIP9 is uh, the old school soft fork activation method uh, that was used for SegWit. That was used for, I think, two other soft forks before that. Um, And it, it... defines a period of time as a number of technical details, but but at a high level, it defines a period of time, uh, suggested a year, during which if in any roughly two-week period during that two-year or uh, one-year time period, you have 95% of blocks uh, that were accepted on the network signaling that the miners... Uh, who are creating the blocks are ready to go and enforcing the rule set, then it activates. Uh, so we all know how that ended with SegWit. It's a little bit of a mess. Um, and out of SegWit's activation process came this BIP8 proposal, which is to say uh, essentially the same thing, but instead of at the end of a year, you time out and just don't activate, uh, you just turn it on anyway and say, screw you miners. We're going to do it anyway. Um, right. So, so really like the obviously no fork makes any damn sense. If you don't have a strong majority of kind of economic active nodes enforcing the rules, because look, no one wants to store their money in rules that are enforced only by miners. That seems like a very bad idea for many, many different reasons. <laughs> We're finding that out this week. Uh, yeah. Because um, they can all get together and decide that they're going to take a chunk of that money for a while. Um, anyway, so with that in mind, you know, BIP 9 kind of intends to say, look, we use the 95% mining threshold purely as a way to say we just don't want there to be a lot of forks for old nodes right if someone forgot to upgrade was lazy forgot these other parts of these other nodes that they you know just forgot to upgrade um because they forgot about them it happens 
then you don't want those nodes to get like completely screwed and end up getting reorged and switched back and forth across chain. Like, it's just really a mess, right? So you use the 95% threshold. 95% has nothing to do with kind of like activation, whatever. It's purely a like how much hash rate and how much network security do we want to lose in this process, right? So that's 5% of hash rate of this key network security parameter lost during the process of this software. And 5% seems reasonable. Uh, more than that starts to get sketchy. Um, BIP8, so, you know, BIP8 is just kind of a, like, this really sucks to do it that way with a flag day, like, we're just going to kick off a bunch of hash rate and potentially cause damage. Uh, so that's kind of the reasoning for this, like, really long timeline for BIP8 is to say, look, we're going to kick off some hash rate and we want to make sure, absolutely sure, that everyone running a node that's kind of economically important will have act, will have upgraded by then. And that's also the reason for like the six month waiting period and the one year before that is to say like, let's make sure that everyone will do it and there's no like objections and holdouts and whatever of people who are gonna say no. Should we explain to the freaks why Bitcoin Core doesn't have auto updates enabled? Because developers don't decide. Yeah. Exactly. That's why we have to deal with this process. Yeah. No, it's a necessary evil. And that, no, that's what it, this week, again, is a week of BIPs. BIPs. A lot of BIPs got numbers. We got BIP 340, 341, 342, and 119. Um, BIP tap group got broken up into three BIPs. And Peter, I think he does an incredible job of explaining, like, hey, the proposal's here. People seem to like it. We think this is a good form of the proposal. We're just going to propose it. And it's up to you guys. Our hands are our hands are clean now. Like, uh start discussing it. So how do we just, do we have to start the discussion? Me and you? I guess so. Yeah. We're starting it here. You have to go out into the streets, start asking everyone who's getting on the subway in the morning. (laughs) How do you feel about Schnorr Taproot activation? (laughs) (laughs) How does it make you feel? Arbed out already has a hat design. I saw that. That was great. It's a bit 119, bit 340, 341, 342. Oh my God. I love that. I want one. Hats are a key aspect of Bitcoin consensus. Yes. That and uh, yeah, so that's a, like that's actually a good conversation to jump into. Like, so Segwit that was very heavily driven via social media. Like, how does this consensus uh, outside of core develop going forward? Do you think it's another social media campaign, mailing list campaign? Um, do people have to start changing their their Twitter app, their Twitter names to signal they want these bips? Dear God, I hope not. <laughs> right. I mean, hopefully we just get 95% minor signaling, right? Then we're good. Yeah, why? Well, I mean, I think it, it's it's one of those things, you know, minors aside, it, there's just really not been any objection, right? So, because we like lost all them level, to the other chains, right? They just, they left the, us. The really loud complainers well, have quit. Yes, uh, that and then Segwit too, like with covert ASIC boost, there was a reason why, like an economic reason why some of them would would, would have want to withhold this. Uh, yeah, bit potentially. Tapper, I mean, I, like... remember that the vast majority of objection to SegWit was not, in fact, an objection to SegWit. It was an objection to doing anything other than increasing the block size as is and setting a, a you know certain precedent, right? So it really wasn't a, this is bad. It was a Shut up, do this other thing. Yeah. Um, and w- with that in mind, you know, that's 
kind of part of the model that I look to for soft forks and any fork um, is, you know, we shouldn't be making those kinds of technical compromises on the basis of, but I want this other thing and, you know, we shouldn't, you know, and uh, AJ had a good response uh, email on the mailing list that talked about like, look, we shouldn't be in a situation where we're kind of playing political horse trading and making trade-offs to make everyone just happy enough. It should be, here's a freestanding thing. Is it better than what we had before for some people and worse than what we had before for no people? And if it is, let's fucking do it. That's what it seems like Bip Taproot is, right? Right. And I think Bip Taproot very clearly falls into that category. And, and, and Segwit only... You know, every soft fork, every fork before Segwit was pretty straightforward, went through occasionally with technical hiccups, but never kind of consensus objection hiccups, um, at least by the time it activated in recent times. Let's asterisk there. Do you have any issues with Taproot? No. Why would I have issues with Taproot? Just curious. Uh, no, 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 it feels like a lot of people are, are scarred from the Segwit battles and they're expecting uh, a similar arduous battle moving right. forward. But why? Yeah, it's scars, baby. War battle scars, man. They scare people. PTSD. You've got to heal somehow. Yeah. Could that soft fork theoretically be combined with the consensus cleanup or are they totally separate? Yeah, but like, why? Just you know? for efficiency? Like, if we're already doing one soft fork, it's mentally easier maybe to. Shoving another one? That I don't know. Nah, I think it's I mentally harder. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do too much at once. It's too much mental thinking, right? Right, yeah, true. I don't know. I, if we are in a world where we can't... If we're in a world where, like, soft forks by themselves are that much of a burden that we can't, like, do them independently and kind of have a pipeline, then... Well, some might argue we're in a great world. Some might argue we're in a bad world. But I don't think that's the world we're in. So it's more of a social limitation of developers and, and people's interests than kind of a uh, practical limitation of, like, could we actually do more forks and have kind of a robust pipeline? Certainly not, like, one every few months. But could we have a more robust pipeline? We absolutely could. Yeah. Bitcoin Core is stagnant stagnant you guys aren't developing shit compared to all the other chains We're working on ldk mm, it's not us <laughs> <laughs> um but sticking on bip taproot um if they get implemented let's talk about the benefits of that and how uh it would <clears throat> excuse me affect lightning uh particularly with like channel opens and closes and stuff like that that um helps with not being able to tell a transaction is a lightning channel open mm -hmm. right yeah or channel close as well Right, so there's several big privacy ones, right? So there's that. Um, there's also just having Schnorr signatures on chain means you can do what's called, uh, sure, what's it called? The um, uh, payment hop decorrelation. So that's not, so right now when you send a lightning payment, every node on the route sees the payment hash and sees that same information for everyone, uh, for every hop. Like every hop sees the same information. Uh, and with, any kind of Schnorr signatures on chain, you could remove that and you could make it so that every node only sees who it came from, 
a hash that's unique to that node, the value, which does potentially allow for a number of attacks, uh, and where to send it on to. But you get much more into the realm of kind of traditional mixnet privacy analysis versus the privacy analysis of Lightning today is, is much, much weaker. Um, and there's, you know, whatever, 30 years of, 40 years of mixnet privacy analysis research papers that we can draw from once we have a little more uh, robust decorrelation across the path. That's what like that's what one thing Matt really likes to say is that Lightning potentially could be like the privacy solution for Bitcoin, right? Or at least one. They're a huge improvement, at least. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You can Solutions speak for yourself. Solution solution is a strong word. No, it feels like I mean just like little things, right? Like the fact that you don't have toxic change, you don't have um, every transaction literally recorded on the chain forever. Uh, it seems like it's got to be a sizable improvement. At least going forward in the future. When it, well, like you mean Lightning you said, in general? Yeah. yeah For certainly. privacy, in terms of like the actual end user spending at that point, because that's where a lot of information leaks is when you right. actually spend it. Yeah, I mean, any kind of second layer solution by nature of, you know, the goal is let's improve scalability, and the solution to improving scalability is make sure that not every transaction hits the fucking chain, right. and once you're not telling everyone about everything you're doing, all of a sudden, it's very easy to accidentally improve privacy. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a low bar. It's a low bar, but... Yeah. It's, um... No, it's exciting, though. And again, going back to, like, the battle scars of, of Segwit, like, it, it, I'm very interested to see like when, uh, when the activation starts. So like when, when will it? Like, like when can we start uh, downloading the software? And Marty's signal? itching. I am itching. I am itching. When it's ready. It's not ready yet. When it's ready. So it's not ready yet. So I, I always assumed when it gets a so it's ready now. If it got a number. When it when it's ready. <laughs> Soon TM. I hate this. Soon TM, right? Two weeks? Two weeks? Like, these are the kinds of things that are like, they activate and then... Do we need to shallow for you to come out and be like, all right, bitches, this is what we're doing? I I mean, look, it'll happen. It's got to go... There's a lot of technical review left to go through just in terms of code level now, less uh, kind of high level. It takes time. uh, And... Why rush? Uh, this isn't the kind that's of thing that's opening up foundational new user experiences on Bitcoin. We're not talking about covenants. We're not talking about, uh, you know, something crazy. We're talking about improving, iterative improvement on a number of different fronts, which users hopefully won't see very much of. Now, they will see the lack of privacy breaking stuff once they start adopting lightning and we see you know better uh privacy there and and like you might see the lack of certain privacy breaking attacks in the future but certainly users aren't going to like see some great new user experience in their wallet just by updating yeah no rush especially there's no there's no like fee problem right now either or there's no because that's what it felt like a segue to a lot of that 
battle was predicated around fees and the fee crisis, quote-unquote fee crisis, if you want to define it as a crisis or not, is depending on how you think well, the protocol There is a level. fee crisis coming, right? But it's the opposite. Right? Where them damn have, fees. We yeah. need fees to pay miners, y'all. It's once, it's, uh, that's another thing Clark Moody's dashboard has. I think the fee or the block subsidy to fee ratio is like 1% right now. People will be complaining about high fees before you know it. I don't think it's really... Looking forward to it. I don't think we'll have to worry about low fees, at least in the near future. That would put pressure on pushing through scalability solutions, right? Like yeah. more people on Lightning, more pressure on Taproot. So we should spin up a Satoshi Dice again? <laughs> <laughs> what really the, worries uh, me. Southern District of New York District Attorney might have something to say about that. But in theory, I'm very supportive of someone else doing it. What really worries me is the effect of fees on like potential privacy improvements, because like pretty much every privacy improvement we see involves using more transactions. You have to do more transactions. Um, I mean, you guys said so. Z-Man is separate, right? His work is not really connected to you guys. But did you see what he just announced? PaySwap. I think he called it PaySwap. Or pay cash? He did call it pay swap. I haven't dug into it yet. Yeah, and and the idea there is is that you're literally doubling the transaction amounts because Alex <laughs> sends a transaction, and Bob sends before. a transaction back. So it should be interesting. Like as fees rise, um, there's like a negative incentive there to use Bitcoin privately. There's it, you're it's cheaper to combine all your UTXOs and send as few transactions as possible. Right, potentially. Uh, well, I think this is kind of the argument for cross-input signature aggregation, which is not a thing that exists materially currently, but uh, potentially in the future, uh, Schnorr signatures as they exist in Bitcoin could be adapted to support that, uh, which would in fact make, if you are not creating additional transactions, but instead just directly spending your transactions uh, with a coin join transaction, would in fact be cheaper than... Because you aggregate all the signatures. Right. But yeah. that's not included in the current proposal. That's that not included future, in the That would future. be a future change. I thought there was signature aggregation just inherently with Schnorr. There is, but the... Do, so the signature aggregation in Schnorr that exists in Taproot does not anymore discourage you from using multisig, right? Multisig appears larger on the chain today which is a discouragement if you assume fees are going up, but it does not allow you to have a signal signature for two different inputs. Um, so it only allows you to have a signal signature for a multi-sig input, which is great, but not for two different inputs. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the specifics about how Schnorr would get implemented, right? So BIP 30, 340, excuse me, uh, that is to get Schnorr in, right? And that's to enable Schnorr. You would still have ECDSA and Schnorr working uh, at the same time, correct? Right. We're not going to take everyone's money and force them to that's actually, create I, a new... I, mess, I messed that up in the bent in the email. I fixed it in on the website today. I said it would replace. It's just going to enable it. Replace. No, I, I, I know. I know. I'm mad at myself, Matt. I'm mad. You and Craig Wright both just trying to take everybody's <laughs> money. <laughs> that's a burn. But... Uh, and so the way Schnorr gets implemented, right, is SegWit version one gets. Uh, so SegWit has 16 versions that it can go through. We're on version zero right now. And, right, yeah. And, 16 with one byte, yeah. Yeah. And so what BIP340 says, we're going to go to SegWit version one, which enables Schnorr signatures, correct? Is that correct? And then, uh, 
explanation. Right. Well, it enables taproot directly at the root and then schnorr below that. Uh, so taproot. So taproot's kind of. So currently, right, if you are spending to a witness script, right, you have some complicated policy, maybe it's a lightning output, uh, maybe it's multisig, whatever, um, you take the witness script, you take kind of your, your policy, your script, and you hash it, and you put that in the output. With Taproot, you take the witness script, and you hash it, and then you add it to a public key, and then you put that public key in the output. So... This is a neat trick that uh, I believe is due to Greg, uh, Greg Maxwell, where you can then say, well, that public key that I added it to, that is just a multi-signature of everyone involved, and we can just spend it with that signature, uh, with that one signature from everyone. It's a single signature. It shows up on the chain as a single signature. It doesn't even appear... Uh, on chain that we have any complicated policy. And so that you have Schnorr signatures there kind of directly on the witness version one, right? Witness version one is just spending to this public key that has the, the complicated script hashed in. And then if you want to enforce the complicated script because say Matt Odell over here kind of screwed us and disappeared and was like, Classic I don't, don't want to, I don't want to sign your crap. Just leave me alone. I just don't want to deal with that then we can publish our more complicated multi-sig policy. And there's both Schnorr signatures available there, but also ECDSA and whatever else you want, uh, kind of traditional Bitcoin script features available there. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. That's so much to take in. Like, at what point do you think... Uh... Like, so right now it seems like as a Bitcoiner, again, I'm not a developer. I just feel like I need to um, stay on top of all these developments and these new uh, these new features that may get added to Bitcoin. You see us getting to a point where your average user doesn't even have to worry about this stuff. Your average user doesn't even have to worry about any of this stuff now, yeah. I hope. Yeah. But it feels like we do. Well, you're not the average user Right, I feel like the average user these days is an enthusiast. Is that if wrong? the average user is an enthusiast, we are fucked. <laughs> if you have to be an enthusiast in order to use cryptocurrency, we are fucked. But like the average Bitcoin Twitter user is like an enthusiast. That's true. But there's millions of Bitcoiners that are just they don't. You never see them. You never talk to them. They just have like I don't yeah. even want to say like bread wallet on their phone. <laughs> they have Cash App. They're buying Bitcoin exactly. prepaid debit cards. They're sending it to Nigeria. You know, like the average Bitcoin user has never read crypto Twitter ever. And if that's not the case that's that so we're lucky. in, <laughs> if that's not the world we're in, then we're screwed. Because Bitcoin, like, if we're building Bitcoin only for other enthusiasts, like, look, the average person doesn't have time to give a shit about what you care about. It's not that they're stupid. You know, a lot of people are like, ah, you're stupid. You don't get this. No, they don't have fucking time. They have two kids, two jobs, three jobs. They're really excited about something. Who the fuck knows? They're really excited about hiking. And they're doing that all their time. They're not reading crypto Twitter. They're not reading about Bitcoin. They don't give a fuck. And if we can't bridge the gap into, look, Bitcoin's going to provide utility for you. 
even though you know almost nothing about it, then we're screwed. Right. They should just they should just use it, not have to think about it. Right. If we were to distill Taproot down at its core to an average Bitcoin user, it's cheaper multisig, right? Yeah, I mean, I would generally pitch it as better privacy in a number of different Better ways. privacy for it's multisig. For lightning, for multisig, uh, lightning, for... Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, if you're anything... Like a foundational way to measure privacy is what's your anonymity set, right? So who else looks like you do and would be confused for you? Uh, and if you improve privacy of multisig such that multisig outputs look like any other output, even if you're not using multisig outputs, potentially this might improve your privacy because it might potentially also increase your anonymity set. Right, it would, right? Because right? even if you're a single sig, you're... Well, there's Still among the pool. 20 other issues right, with right, privacy course, today, but but yes. Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the clear pitch is this is a foundational step for a bunch of other stuff, and especially it means adding other stuff in the future doesn't hurt your privacy, and it does some small things today to help your privacy. <sighs> privacy is the biggest worry right now. It's, uh, it seems to be a problem, like... Do you think with Schnorr Taproot will be sufficient enough to have to go a little bit further after that, at least at the protocol level? You mean add more features? Add more, yeah, more features that enable uh, people to find uh, privacy in easier ways. I would flip that on its head a little bit and say that Schnorr Taproot enables us to add new features without compromising privacy, Ooh. right? Because an existing issue is like, okay, I want to use this really awesome new wallet that's has this super weird multi-sig policy because, you know, it's the, the new hotness is what friends and family back yeah. up. So I'm Uncle gonna, Jim. Gonna, Uncle gonna, Jim. Uncle Jim is going to help me out if I ever get, forget my keys. Um, Right, so it enables us to do that. To it enables me to like go use that without hurting my privacy, because today right. if I use that, I'm going to be one of whatever five people with this weird ass multisig policy, and anyone who looks at the chain is going to be like, oh yeah, you're one of five people who uses this weird ass multisig policy. That's not going to be the case with Taproot, because hopefully, in kind of a default scenario, I'm able to just have everything look the same and then I don't have to ruin my privacy if I want to opt into something more innovative. Yeah. Fuck, man. And then it helps Lightning because Lightning open and closes are multi-sig. It helps Lightning both in that way and in additional just because it enables uh, Schnorr for instead of HTLCs, instead of hash-locked contracts, right. it's point locked or uh, Schnorr signature locked or Schnorr private key locked. Oh, interesting. So want to be an HDCL anyway? HTLC, excuse me? Yeah, technically. We'll yeah. no longer be I'm, I'm so bad. So PBSD. Bad I'm so bad. HTLM. You got PTSD <laughs> you, right there. You went somewhere in between HTML. <laughs> you went somewhere in between that and like HTML and like lightning and the web. I don't, I don't know what the fuck you did there. Hey, you know, this is why This is why I'm a podcaster. This is why I'm not writing code and I'm speaking to you guys you need a formatter <laughs> just too many tlas um fuck i had something to go to and i completely missed it when i messed up that acronym 
in FLS for that matter. Yeah. Um, a lot of FLS. Ah, oh God, what was I going to say? Matt, save me. What are your thoughts on Liquid? Oh, no. <laughs> I re- and now I remember what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Liquid? <laughs> I have some idea. He waits for a few beers. Uh, no, I, look, I was, at, I was at Blockstream when Liquid was first being created. Um, and it's a really cool product for the original intention of it, which being cross uh, exchange liquidity pool, right? We're building a, a liquidity pool between exchanges by enabling much faster transactions uh, in a way where those exchanges aren't, for example, using something like Lightning, which especially at the time did not exist, but also at the time had like kind of a long time horizon before it was available, especially for high volume amounts because right. uh, exchanges have to deal with large flows sometimes. Um, and so that, you know, that was the original intent behind it, which is a really cool product. Now at kind of as an individual user, it makes a little less sense just because, you know, it is, here's a custodial product. Essentially it's custodial across the exchanges you're talking to. And it's also custodial in the sense that you can't withdraw without kind of working with one of the exchanges who are a member of liquid. Um, that's not. You know, custodial products are great if they're providing you a lot of other value, like instant transactions. Well, Liquid's not quite instant. Uh, still has I don't know, has still has some block time. I think it's like minute or something, uh, or at least it was originally. Um, it has some privacy benefits, but only arguably because getting into the system has, you know, one of these exchanges where you're probably going to have to KYC yourself to get in and out. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of weird to propose it for consumers uh, outside of when you're interacting with one of these exchanges, if you know, if you were otherwise going to interact with one of these exchanges, using Liquid doesn't really change that because it's custodial either way. Um, whereas suggesting consumers use it for kind of consumer to non-Liquid business uh, transactions is just, it's not providing value and it has clear drawbacks. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for a user outside of a large trader to me. Somebody wants to move funds between exchanges without the whale alert seeing it or something like that. Right, and and also just, you know, anyone who's trying to ARB exchanges, uh, if you're looking at the ARBs, not only do you trigger a whale alert, but also you're dealing with long confirmation times and all that good stuff. You know, Liquid has a fixed confirmation time and potentially... Exchanges could give each other a little bit of float. Uh, you can also, for exchanges that use Tether and stuff like that, you can trade Tether across it. Of course, these days, Silvergate competes and has their uh, instant USD. What's Silvergate? Uh, Silvergate Bank uh, is one of so, the banks that they like deals with... They bank everybody. They yeah. bank, you know, a They're bunch so of the only profitable Bitcoin business. <laughs> <laughs> they bank all the Bitcoin exchanges, but they have a product uh, for Bitcoin bank or for Bitcoin exchanges who are on their platform uh, to do instant USD transactions across exchanges. And they just hired a Blockstream guy, right? Ben Richmond? Uh, yeah, the, Ben. Yeah, he joined that's after correct. Me, I think. Yeah, I just met Ben. So they might add Liquid over at Silvergate. Yeah, I mean, right in the target market, right? So we don't think, like, people aren't going to be spending, like, Tether Gold through Liquid at their local BTC Pay merchant. 
Right. That would be weird. Dear God, I hope not. I don't get Tether Gold. It's like at the all. future Peter Schiff wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Peter Schiff wants you to be weighing out gold and measuring the purity <laughs> for every transaction. Let's be clear. Hey, he forgot his pin, not his password. He uh he he found his Bitcoin. He got it, right? No, no, he lost it still anyway. He just admitted that it was his fault. Oh. All right. That's his fault. Thank you for the burn. Honestly, Peter. the user experience of blockchain didn't. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's blockchain terrible. was yeah. horrible. I used People it give him shit. Like eh, he used no. the wrong wallet, yeah. and the wallet's user experience was god off. And also, Eric Voorhees recommended it to him too. So yeah, and that was my that was my response to that situation. I didn't come at Peter. I just subtweeted blockchain. I was like, don't use their products. I I tried it out for the first time. It doesn't even tell you to back up your seed. You have to like go into settings to. Like so figure it out. It doesn't what? even prompt you. What? It's all the, it's all the way buried. It's all I mean, the way buried. if you freaks are listening out there, blockchain is a, a woefully incompetent company. Uh, they their their block explorer doesn't even work correctly. They don't even have Segwit yet. They don't have Segwit, but like they, they're like their transaction counter. Like it messed up the the. They uh, largely pivoted, right? Like they were they like started with a block explorer and a wallet. Um, that didn't get a lot of love and now they've created an exchange and they do a bunch of like consulting for private blockchain stuff. So I just don't think their wallet gets any love and it needs a lot of love. A lot of love. Don't use it. Don't use it. But it's in like blockchain.com. The goddamn domain names, man. So fucked. Right? Um, right. Get all of your Bitcoin information from bitcoin.ninja, not bitcoin.com. Ooh, I've never heard that one. Where's, where's that send? <laughs> where's that send you? Just not very much information. <laughs> I remember my question about uh, Lightning scaling into a high fee regime. That's one one of the biggest knocks on Lightning, right? As fees goes up on the protocol level, uh, opening and closing channels make become too arduous and make uh, Lightning unusable um, at a certain point. Is this? FUD? Is it something you guys worry about? Is it something to be uh, something we shouldn't worry about, or something that uh, can creatively be worked around? Couldn't they just be priced out by people with lower fees? What do you mean? Miners are going to take the higher fees, right? Oh, I thought you meant within Lightning, like routing fees. No, like opening and closing channels oh. on Lightning in a higher fee regime on the protocol level. Like, say fees get to where they were in December two thousand seventeen. Is it going to be advantageous to open up a lightning channel? You know, that's a good question, but at the same time, there's a strong argument to be made. So, so uh, stepping back a tiny bit, one thing that I really like about a lot of second layer systems and also, you know, I, I think needs to happen in the Bitcoin space is we need to increase the elasticity of demand for block space. So, you know, when fees are high, demand needs to fucking go down. And when fees are low, like there are now, there needs to be way more demand than there is. And one nice thing about layer two systems is that they kind of intuitively do that a little bit, right? So if you have some on-chain funds and you have some you have a channel open you're not too worried about getting those funds confer opening a new channel immediately uh the user isn't actively transacting you know you can wait till sunday afternoon to get some of those channels open maybe you can wait longer uh you can rebalance these kinds of things in the background 
and you're not as worried about kind of immediate term transaction confirmation. So that's really nice and de-risks that a lot. In addition, you know, we were talking a little earlier about LDK and some of the folks that we've been talking to who are doing kind of risk scoring, accepting channels before they're fully confirmed, that kind of work. You know, again, here's an area where if you see real fee spike, you see a ton of traders hitting the chain with a high fee because they want to arb some large volume across exchanges, whatever, you can de-risk that a little bit for the user and say like, look, the transaction's coming, it'll confirm on Sunday, whatever. Now, that doesn't fully answer your question. It partially answers your question in the sense that like if transactions spike, if transaction fees spike, that might not be as bad for Lightning as I might immediately see, because you know we always see currently demand for block space is super inelastic, and we see fee spikes and we see fees drop to zero an hour later. Like it's kind of a, an absurd market right now. Um, but if you see the kind of uh, what year was it, 2018 or whatever, um, 2017, 2017 um, fee spike. That's a little different for Lightning. And I don't know that we have a super compelling answer for low-value Lightning use. No, certainly that just also means, you know, you can still use Lightning if it has slightly higher-value channels, you know, going forward. Uh, hopefully we'll see, you know, people who are using Bitcoin on a day-to-day -day basis and have real, uh, like, money in Bitcoin will also have some of that in Lightning because if you're going to transact in any meaningful fashion, why wouldn't you want your transactions to be instant? Um, but in terms of real small value, you know, the fee rate, the prevailing minimum fee rate over the course of a month changing only changes the kind of what is the minimum amount of money you need to kind of get on the chain and use Bitcoin in that way. There's already a minimum right now, right? If you're talking about like 300 sats, if you're talking about 1,000 sats, you're talking about 5,000 sats, it probably doesn't make sense for you to have anything on chain. You should just have it in a custodial product because that's the only option you have right now. And so in the long term, in the long, long term, we need to be looking at what are other things we can do, right? Lightning scales down a lot, but it doesn't scale down to zero. And there is a zero and there are users who are going to be in that area. How do we make sure that we, as a Bitcoin community, support them and support them without telling them like, eh, just go use Cash App and just go use one of these go completely use a credit custodial. Card. Right, go use a credit card. I mean, uh, but how do we, especially since a lot of these users are people who probably don't even have bank accounts. What was right. the statistic from uh, the city the other day is... It's like one in ten New Yorkers don't have a bank account. But like that's yeah. what New York, in, well, in that's, New York. Well, that's what that's what they did this week. They said you, they went to New York City merchants and said you can't be cashless. Yeah, you can't ban cash. Yeah, which I which no, I you can't. I'm a big not accept cash. Yes, yeah. I'm a big fan of that too. Um, big fan. Uh, Philly I don't did. know if I love the government stepping in to do it. No, but I, cash I, is you know king. What? That's so. one instance where I'm okay with it. No. no, but like if you don't like that they don't accept cash, you go shop go shop somewhere else. Well, it's like the coffee store that you just I bought know. coffee from. I hate that I shit. Did. I, I did. saw, actually, I was there yesterday morning. I, I went only, to go get coffee. It was, uh, it, freaks, I've been making my coffee mostly every day. We ran out of beans yesterday. I went to go buy coffee. Ouch. And a woman tried to pay in dollars, and she couldn't. They were like, it's, we're cashless. And the cashier 
had to pay with his card and she gave him cash. Like, it was, I mean, going back to I, Andreas, like we're here to bank the unbanked, right? Like that's, we all watch those videos. At least I watched those videos when I was starting too. like, that was just, I would mainline Andreas videos. But I mean, I have two points I think are important to mention here in terms of Matt's comments. Um, we'll have things like you, you mentioned custodial, but we have like non-custodial straight onto lightning kind of onboarding situations where like spark swap or like Jack Muller's Olympus that's coming. Um, so maybe they could onboard with 5,000 sats. They're uh, still creating a... I think my point was more, how do you onboard users where it's uneconomical for them to have a UTXO? Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to say is like in a fee spike situation, like maybe that encourages more people to like, you know, open new channels with one sat per byte or 10 sats per byte or something because they see the value all of a sudden in having the already established lightning channel, right? So they see the fee spike, they're like in pain because of it. And they, you see like a rush of, of lower transaction fees set that don't confirm for months or whatever, weeks. Or right. My mind immediately went to wallets should develop tools to say something like, I want a lightning channel in the next week and then the wallet can optimize for when the fees are lowest or something like that. Mm -hmm. That or I don't know if people have talked about this, but ways for multiple people to use the same lightning channel without without fully sharing all private keys. If we could develop some kind of maybe layer three <laughs> solution around that or something. Right. To some extent, there's channel factories, uh, which do allow you to have multiple users per UTXO. Uh, but they only go so far and they have uh, a lot of blow up when you go to close the channel, potentially. Uh, if there's like a non-cooperative close, you have a lot of on-chain volume in response. Uh, so looking kind of in the long, long term, how do we make that kind of system more efficient? How do we build like, uh, I don't know if you remember, Tumblebit, but things like Tumblebit potentially... Uh, more pseudo custodial, but uh, have well, Tumblebit was for those who don't recall it, it, it does have on chain transactions involved, but was a way to do Xiaomi and eCash using Bitcoin script as it exists today. Uh, Xiaomi and eCash being kind of a, a model, old school model from kind of the 80s and 90s, where you have tokens at this bank, but the, to the, the bank does not have any ability to figure out who the token came from, it just knows that it's a valid token, right? It's completely private, but still fully custodial. Um, and how do we play around with models like that, but maybe make them slightly less custodial? Uh, so, so kind of playing around in that space, I think, in the long, long term. Yeah, and I don't think we should discount um, things we can't even see coming to the fore either, right? Like, uh, do you, that, that's another question I want to ask. Like, up to this point in Bitcoin's history, 11 years in, like, was there something that was consensus very early on and something came out of the blue uh, that sort of blew that consensus up, right? Like, right now, assuming that if fees rise, opening channels uh, will be hard and arduous. Um, maybe there's something we don't see right now that comes in the future that, that could uh, change that narrative or something like that or change that reality, more importantly. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then there's... You know, I bring this up because there are designs for this. Like, there are people thinking about how do you have shared ownership of a UTXO? How do you have, you know, the ability to have a bank that's private, but at the same time, if the bank decides to censor you, you can take your money and go home. 
um, but everyone else doesn't have to. You know, how do you design these systems? And there are designs for them. It's not like they don't exist. So, like everything in Bitcoin's history and, and cryptocurrency in general, it's how long do we have to actually build these things? We've been thinking about them for years. Let's go, you know, find the resources, find the users, build it. Yeah. Fascinating. That's one of the things I really love with Lightning is that it's moving so much quicker. Have you noticed that? Mm. Do you do you feel it's just like a little bit of a breath of fresh air, especially after we had the whole scaling debate? That it's moving have, quick, but it's still moving at an engineering pace, right? It's how long have these things? As long as C Lightning and LND been available for people, and yet the the feature set is still the feature set that was there. Right, right, right. Uh, they still have user experience glitches here and there. It still happens. They're not completely robust. You know, engineering low-level systems takes years to iron out all the kinks. Yeah. It's going to take time, people. It's going to take time. I get so triggered by people wanting everything out of the box right now. It's like, what do you expect? Especially with a distributed project. Like, how, how much harder is it with a distributed system to uh, enact these changes and 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 bring these features to to the to the users right something people don't think about right plus maintaining the whole culture of don't pressure people to upgrade so you know no need yeah which is which is not normal right i get my update your ios once a day like do it do it do well, it that's something that i noticed that was different with lightning as well it's like with bitcoin core i'm almost I have an incentive to be slow with my updates. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Lightning, like if I was slow with my updates, like I might have lost funds. Right? Like I need to be, you need to be on top of it and actually update really quickly. Um, I don't even, I don't have a question related to that. I just, <laughs> it's an interesting dichotomy. I think you're allowed to make points without questions. Yeah. yeah. That's what this is for. We got a little round table here. I think this is, this is our first four person pod. It's literally a round table. Yeah. Um, it's not our first four-person podcast. Speaking of the roundtable, are you going to the roundtable? No. <laughs> not spending 3K to go hang out with Bruce? It's like 6,000 all said and done. <laughs> 6K now? Yeah. Well, no, because it's like 3K for the ticket, and then you have to stay at their specific hotel. Oh. It's like another 3K. Yeah. So, Val, what are you most excited for? Uh, like with Square Crypto's initiative, like, do you think it sets a precedent uh, to light a fire under anybody's ass? Um, <laughs> do you think uh, what you guys are doing will enable other engineers in the future? Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely excited for you know our niche and uh, our lane for sure. Um, yeah, for the whole external signing thing, just the flexibility. I think. Um, once we iron out all the kinks, people could do some crazy shit with it, with how pluggable it is. Like, stick in your own routing algorithm, just whatever you're feeling. Yeah, well, it, Matt, you mentioned earlier, like, you do this LDK stack in a hardware wallet. Like, how would that work? What does that look like? Right. Um, just all the channel management would be in there. Like, one cool thing... Uh, design goal of Rust Lightning is don't make any syscalls. So, you know, there's no assumptions made about what will be available from the underlying hardware. That's kind of totally up to the user, which is pretty cool. Um, 
So yeah, it could totally be channel management and RNG on the hardware wallet, but everything related to making sure you don't get breached, running on a million different servers that are keeping a super close watch on everything. So um, yeah, and then there's also, like I'm excited for the multi-device uh, sync application, which is also not currently possible. So Lightning Wallet on my phone, Lightning Wallet on my computer, um, and everything's still secure. How's it still secure in that, in that way? Like if you have it. Well, the current idea is like, uh, like to be fair, I would have to fully close the wallet on my phone and be like, okay, I'm signing off the phone and then I can use it on the computer. Uh, so it's kind of like a clear, like, okay, get everything synced. Now I can use it on the other device. You only have one permission at a time. Yeah. I think that's the current right. idea. I mean, you can, you can always like, if your other wallet is open, the wallets can communicate with each other and say like, hey, I'm also open, please send money, right? So there's not like, it's not like you have to like log out, but it would kind of at a technical level, like Val was saying, like, you know, I would open one of them and it would say, is anybody else open? No, all right, good. Now I'm gonna load the data and run with it and, and run with it. But, but specifically the APIs exposed allow you to make hard guarantees about the synchronous the the state of the synchronization, um, the state synchronization across all of your wallets. Whereas, again, existing systems like LND, uh, C Lightning, to some extent, although they're working on uh, kind of other backends right now, but even still today, you know they they write their data and. You don't have any kind of like you can check if one is running, probably, but you have to make sure it closed cleanly before you can open it. Whereas Rust Lightning, like you can actually go sit down and say, ah, this channel didn't close cleanly. I'm just going to close it out, or maybe I won't op reopen that channel or what have you. And the issue is because if the states are, if you fuck that up, you lose money, right? Yeah, you don't want to fuck up your yeah. state synchronization. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> Yeah, so that's one thing, like state backups too. Is that is that being improved as well um, via an LDK? That's pretty related, isn't it? Like by uh, you fully sync your state before opening it on the other device. So kind of implicit in that is that you A, wrote it to disk and or B, backed it up to some cloud service maybe or some other backup service. Yeah. Right, and there's, there's a flexible API for it, right? So you can decide how you as an app developer using LDK, back up the state, and not only how you do it, but how the app responds to it, right? So if the server is down, there's support for freezing a channel, not allowing any further updates, but keeping it open, which no other client supports because they don't have to, right? They just store it to disk, they write it to disk, they're done. And if the disk write fails, they can just crash or something. Cause like, eh, disk writes don't ever really fail that often. So it's fine to just, shut down and, and hope the user fixes their disk versus you know if you're on some mobile and you want to open it in two phones like you have to actually be really paying attention to this and saying or like especially if you're on a hardware wallet you know here's a here's a state update i need to make sure the watchtower on the other side of the world has the state update before I do anything that might allow the counterparty to broadcast something on chain, right? So this is just not a model that's considered in the current Lightning implementations because 
they're a daemon that runs on a server, and that's great, but not the only potential use case for lightning. Yeah. Right, and one other thing I thought was cool was, like, kind of because we're a library, we can have um, f- higher levels of fuzz testing um, more than other demonized implement. What is fuzz testing? <laughs> Basically, fuzz testing is where, say you have a function in your code, right? The fuzzer will just throw a bunch of random bytes at it and just, like, throw shit at it and just try to get your program to crash or segfault or buffer overflow or something like that. It can be language-specific. Um, but because we're a library, when you write tests, you don't have to spin up a whole node. Everything's just functions, basically. Um, you can just write, like, four lines of code and you have, like, a quote-unquote node um, but it's much more flexible in terms of what you can fuzz. Like, like in other um, implementations, like you can pretty much always fuzz like message serialization. Um, but in Rust Lightning, what's kind of unique is you can fuzz any message that one node would send to another node. So I can spin up a Rust Lightning node and just throw like anything you can think of at it and just try to get it to crash. Um, so that's really helpful when you're doing super tricky stuff like trying to pause a channel so you can make sure all the various channel monitors say like, okay, everything's good. Yeah, you can forward this HTLC or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's my understanding, not having built it. But <laughs> were you? Did I see you fuzz testing recently? Was that something you were tweeting about or wrote to a death list? Uh, I mean, the, the fuzz tests in Rust Lightning continue to be really, really valuable. Uh, like Val was describing, but uh, what you might be thinking of is Marco has spent some time doing fuzzing of the Bitcoin core validation engine. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, lately, over the last kind of few weeks, months, um, and, and has had really good success. Uh, despite Bitcoin core really not being designed for this, it has slowly migrated in that way. And with some... With some... You know, the, the fuzzing is not fast, which certainly when your goal of the fuzzer is to just throw random shit at the program until it crashes, you have to be fast so that you can try a lot of random shit. Um, but he still had, had really good success with it just because the, the kind of validation of Bitcoin Core is ultimately not that con. There's not like that much stuff there. Uh, whereas in Lightning, there's a lot of meat in the kind of state machine of just going back and forth and dealing with channels and HTLCs and what's the current state of that HTLC but this other HTLC is in a different state and how does that affect things? So much to think about. So much to think about. How do you guys approach this? Uh, like, does it have to be a collaborative effort? Or obviously it does, but like uh, individually, how do you approach this stuff and then, uh, and then sort of ask your teammates or other people working on Lightning uh, whether or not what you're thinking is like worthwhile or valid. Yeah, it definitely helps being on a team. Although um, we've been sending a lot of messages on team chat. And one thing that we've been talking about is how we need to basically shift all of our communication to IRC so that it kind of opens it up to the wider community. So Steve was basically saying like, okay, you guys have like four to six weeks to get comfortable. And then I want to see you guys only messaging on IRC. <laughs> So <laughs> driver Steve over here. Well, that was uh, <laughs> we just had Jeremy Rubin on last week, and that's what one thing he was saying about specifically about uh, developing for core. You could be working on a PR, and then somebody gets something merged, and it fucks up your PR. Is it a similar situation on Lightning um, developing there? Is it a little bit more fluid, or 
Wrestling, we're definitely trying to keep up the pace, so moving a little faster, um, in part because we have a better ability to test things, uh, just because of the way the library is structured. It, it's much easier to write tests, which means it's also much easier to make sure that the code changes are correct, which also means we can move faster. Uh, and, and, and with that comes a little less stepping on each other's toes. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes scaling up. You know, it's still fairly new having this many resources on that project, but... So, Matt, you personally, do you prefer uh, writing code for the protocol level or for Lightning? They're different. Yeah. Do you get more excitement out of one over the other, or...? I enjoy writing stuff with Rust Lightning because we can do more innovative things in testing, mm -hmm. uh, which is just really exciting in terms of like, look here, we're building software that handles people's money. Like we have to be really careful and take this really seriously. Let's not joke around. Let's not, you know, do something that's like a little bit half-assed. No, like... This deals with people's money. Our users are putting real money in this software that we're writing. Take it fucking seriously. Um, and, you know, the way Bitcoin Core... Bitcoin Core has come a long way in the last several years. Um, the last many years. But it still has a ways to go. Versus Rust Lightning starting fresh as something written cleanly as a library that doesn't have, you know, it doesn't sit there and write to disk during tests, just makes it so much easier to do innovative and interesting testing approaches, which is really interesting having, you know, spent so much time in Bitcoin Core, we're really conservative and don't have something like that to fall back on as much. Here we have that way more to fall back on, which is really nice. Yeah, no, that was one thing. Working on Bitcoin Core seems art like uh, it seems like a lot of people could easily get uh, what's the word I'm looking for distraught uh, like working on a PR something gets merged it fucks up their PR they have to take a step back rethink everything it, it seems like a very frustrating process for some people. It's also a very slow moving process and it, it over the last few years it's become increasingly slow moving. Um, some parts of it a little less so the wallet keeps good momentum, uh, but certainly kind of the net and validation core bits have just been so slow moving over the past few years. And it's, you know, in large part, that's because a lot of folks who worked on that area went off, you know, especially post Segwit, like there was, there was a lot of focus during that time period. Everyone was like, gotta, gotta work on core, gotta work on Segwit, gotta work on whatever. Um, and then kind of after that hat went through, everyone was like, well, here's these other four projects that I want to work on that I've been interested in for a while, but felt like I couldn't spend time on. And then they went off and did those. And so that just resulted in everything slowing down. Um, and that's starting to turn around a good bit. Um, but it still is what it is. Uh, and so how's, uh, how's Russ's? Uh, endeavors separating the the wallet and the node going. I haven't been tracking it. No. Uh, I've been busy with LDK building. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's a 
so do you t- do you see working on LDK uh, Rust Lightning as sort of a reprieve from Bitcoin Core or just an extension of what you've been doing? To some extent, I mean, there's certainly no question that uh, certainly everyone at Square Crypto has freedom to go spend 20% of their time or whatever reasonable number on Bitcoin Core, other Bitcoin open source projects, and it's encouraged. Uh, and I know Jeff has a lot of aspirations to uh, improve process around PRs in Bitcoin Core and also kind of improve code health and, and code structure. Um, and, you know, that's something that I'm eyeing and, and trying to spend more time on, but just don't currently have the bandwidth for it. Uh, but but going forward, it'll be more of a thing. Yeah. No, it's... Um... That's no, fascinating. It's fascinating. You ready to drink scotch tonight, Matt? I'm super excited to drink scotch tonight. Did you guys know it's the it's an Irish holiday? Tomorrow is. Tomorrow is? Yeah, but I'll drink some scotch tonight too. The fuck is the holiday? It's Burns Day. Burns Day? Yeah, it's a Scottish Are poet. Are we celebrating the is Australian it? fires? Is <laughs> <laughs> it's a Scottish poet? <laughs> Seems Matt. a little fucked up. Matt. Yeah, you gotta drink scotch to celebrate fire. Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's a poet who is, I guess, a little bit of an alcoholic, so everyone drinks scotch once a year for celebration of him. It seems fitting for a poet. It's a great holiday. Yeah. It's like a great holiday. Irish know how to live, yo. We really do. We do. I, uh, I'm an Irishman myself. Uh, via heritage. I'm an American. Via yeah. heritage. By birth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, what, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on... I don't know if you guys want to talk about or want to talk about him personally. Like, what do you think about Jack Dorsey uh, starting Square Crypto and what's it been like working with him uh, in particular? Do you think, uh, was he very open to the ideas you guys put forth? Was he very hands-off with this stuff um, when you guys did that retreat? Yeah, he's super open to whatever and really encouraging and open-minded I was kind of surprised by how much he was informed about the crypto space as well. Like, seemed like he pretty much knew what was up, like knew the good word, <laughs> you know, more than I expected. Um, yeah, I feel like he he didn't just start it on a whim. It seemed like a pretty like well thought out project on his part. Like, yeah, just the fact that he came out and hiked with us was also really cool. So possibly a little starstruck there, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that like? It was insane. I don't, yeah. Yeah, he's a super chill guy. He really gets it. Um, You know, he's super busy. He's got a lot going on. Twitter has all kinds of fun shit to deal with. Uh, He's going to Africa. He's going to live in Africa for whatever, six months, whatever the fuck. Um, But especially for someone that busy, like just echoing Val's comments, like he, you know, he puts the time in to understand cryptocurrency as best someone who is that busy you could possibly expect them to, uh, which was impressive to me. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he, he really wants to see this stuff succeed and personally, I think. Um, and, you know, Square is a good place to fund it because... If in five years, Bitcoin is just a daily use thing for some part of the world, maybe not even the Western world, but maybe some part of the world, then if Square 
then Square as a business has the ability to run with that. And also, you know, hopefully we can share some of our knowledge within Square so that other engineers at Square are in a good position to run with that as well. Um, So, you know, he definitely... Like, he's very forward-looking on this. um, And, you know, certainly Bitcoin needs a lot of love to get there. But, yeah. Did you see the patent they released? Is there, like, conflict there between Square Crypto's mission and um, software patents in general? Yeah, I I saw the patent. I wasn't aware of it until I saw it in the media like everybody else. Um, But... Certainly, you'll know that there's a conflict when everyone who currently works on Square Crypto quits. So that's what I like to hear. And will you quit? Probably a good indication. But so far, none of us have quit. So it's a good indication that no one has told us what the fuck to do. (laughs) Will you quit? Will you quit if you're? uh, Fuck yeah! Yeah, he'll move on to his fourth, his (laughs) fourth company. Find somebody else to pay my bills. (laughs) No, but no, and that's one thing that, like, yeah, like speaking to him too and seeing. Seeing his eyes, like I, like I feel like speaking to him in person, I feel like he's down for the cause too, and like I, like we need more allies like that. Obviously, people are inherently skeptical and apprehensive to be like, oh, he's a, a billionaire. He's owns the biggest social media company, one of the biggest social media companies in the world, and one of the biggest fin- new financial companies in the world. Like, does he have ulterior motives? It seems like he's down for the cause, and we need more people to put their necks out there, right? Like, I feel like. Right. I mean, Elon tweeted Bitcoin, but we need a little more than that, I feel. Right. Well, you said Bitcoin isn't my safe word, right? Isn't that what he tweeted? I think he might Elon? have had a few. I thought he just no, tweeted he, Bitcoin once. He just once. tweeted Bitcoin once. Is a single tweet that just yeah, said Bitcoin? Yeah, he brings Bitcoin up every once in a while. I love that. That was definitely, he was drinking with someone and he was like, do you think I can move the price 5% if I just tweet the word Bitcoin? <laughs> Elon tends to be good at that. The no. SEC is not a fan, but... But, not a security. So, no, right. a, CFTC doesn't seem to give a shit. So, <laughs> but go, like going back to to try to quell people's fears, like you said, you would quit if your your um, if your principles were ever compromised via Square Crypto. Like, how do you help settle people's nerves who are nervous that somebody uh, with that stature, who some people think, uh, given the history of Twitter and censorship and stuff like that. Um, uh, what can we say to people to be like, all right, yes, there's history here, but uh, given the effort put forward to date in regards to Bitcoin, it seems like he's genuine, right? Right. I mean, he gave us no direction, pretty much. Very, seemingly very long leash. Um, we had that whole 500 Bitcoin headlines project that was pretty damn uncensored i feel like enough. which was by ken that was, that was ken what was, was ken that what was this I, I was like well that's news i didn't know that was yeah, you what guys is this? it was on twitter i mean yeah I it was mean, great so so a guy who works on cash app um did this rather independently he, he was on like a flight and he was bored at some point um and he wrote up a long list of like just tagline like little like, short I mean, probably most of them fit in 140 characters, let alone 280. Like, there's no self-care without self-banking. There's all, like, clickbaity kind of headlines. Right, but there's, yeah. like, what, a thousand of them or something stupid? I mean, More than absurd. 500, yeah. Is it 500? Yeah. So there's 500, like, stop using the same tired memes, go read the list, 
scroll through, pick out a few random ones, start running with those. Yeah. It's 500 of them now. Not disclosure. To... Disclosure. This podcast is sponsored by Jack Dorsey Company as well. Everyone knows. <laughs> Everyone knows. We've we disclosed are, it so many times. We're all we're all compromised. We need to switch to taking money from the Bcash Hong Kong company run by Jihan. Yeah. That's we could just, clearly the We'll have the Bcash Dev Fund sponsor it's the so fun. There we go. It's so funny though. Like people do like try to stamp that on you though. Like you're compromised, you're compromised. But it's like Yeah, yeah and I mean but like it's at the end of the day it's about people, right? And yeah, I mean, you look at like this is the the famous Linus Torvalds like Linux maintainer model. It's like, well, look, uh, somebody's deputized to maintain some part of the Linux kernel, and then they get hired by some company who might have a, a motive. And Linus's response, you know, sometimes Linus is a little too cavalier, but in this case, I'm right there with him. He's like, look, fuck you, like. The, at the end of the day, I trust people, and I trust people to make reasonable decisions, and if their employer wants to pay them to do something that's good for the ecosystem, great. Like, what the fuck is wrong with that? And if their employer wants them to do something that's bad for everyone else, I trust those individuals enough to know that those people are going to tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I would add that I think that people should be skeptical. They should be nervous, but they should also be open-minded. Yes. And they should watch, see see what happens. No, and I, and I think, again, going back to individuals, like you said, you would walk away. I think same. Like, we would walk away, too, if it, anything was ever compromised. Yeah, we'll stop all development on Lightning that we're doing. Um, <laughs> no, I mean... No, we'd walk away from the sponsorship. No, I agree. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, and the other thing I would add is that Jack is an investor, personally, in Lightning Labs. Um and Square Crypto is not working on L and D, right? You're working on Rust Lightning, so right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. We don't, you know, we're not in it to compete with existing companies. We're not in it to own some part of the market that other, you know, we like. We want to build the pie. Our mandate, like, like Val was saying, like Jack gave us a really long. Like he came out to our offsite and he said, "What are you guys gonna work on?" He didn't say like. Uh, you know, you guys should think about working on this because that would help. No, he showed up and said like, hey, what do you guys think about where the space is? What do you guys think would be valuable for you to work on? I want to see something where you guys are making a positive impact and growing the pie that is Bitcoin. Yeah. That's all, that's all, you know, that was it. And that's the incentives of Bitcoin, right? The only winning move is the play. All right, this will work out for Square if they're first mover in the space and... Right, and, you know, they have in-house people who get it. Like, that's a big, that if cryptocurrency is a big thing in five, ten years, that's a big win for Square. Even if we're out funding BTC Pay Server, who's on paper competing with one of Square's main business models. Like, if you look at that, you're like, hmm, that's weird, right? Like, yeah. no, I love that. I do, too. No, that was... That was shocking when they gave that grant out. I was like, whoa. They don't really compete, though. I feel that's, like the merchant... No, I mean, look, it's... No, the merchant who, who is running their own BTC Pay is not a merchant who would be using Square. Today. Well, today, 50-50, they're running both. I mean, what's the, yeah. the one in Palo Alto Backyard Brewers? They've got a Square terminal set up, and right beside it, they got BTC Pay. So, like, yeah. right? You know, today, they're running both. But, you know, in the long term, maybe, and, and certainly... You know, I hope they're not competing in the sense that BTC Pay Server, I hope it's existing to serve a niche for people who don't have access to financial infrastructure. You know, Cash App and, and Square. Square 
at the end of the day, Square has always been about improving access to financial infrastructure, right. whether it's card swiping for food trucks who had to take cash or whether it's people using Cash App who've never had a different bank account. Like, that's their game. And that's also Bitcoin's game. But, you know, if there's something else like Cash App that has a better UX that isn't, you know, exposed to the volatility of Bitcoin and all the other UX problems, great. But that's not going to be available for everyone. But that's why and we, yeah. being able to serve the last 10% is never something Square is going to be able to do without Bitcoin. Right. That's a very good point. Very that, good point. That's why I don't think they compete because I think BTC Pay is a, like a fully sovereign stack that you run yourself. And then Square is going to be the ease of use. You know, you, right. it's just easy and it'll be custodial and you'll KYC and you'll have easy access to fiat and you can. Right. No porn stars or gun shops will ever. Be yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's no, what it is. No, I, again, disclosure, cash apps the sponsor, but like when they first launched, like they catered to, uh, inner city users, right? They, they, with their, there's there's so, how many rap songs that mention cash app? Yeah. This is, I don't know. For so some many. reason, people at square love this statistic. They've never sponsored any of them, but there's like, I don't know, 50 rap songs that mention cash app. They're all like, yeah, yeah the <laughs> biggest song in the world right now. Um, mentions as cash they app. Should be. as they should look, that's, that's a statistic to be proud of. Cause you're really providing service for people who otherwise don't have it. Yeah. They don't mention Bitcoin though. Right. No, they don't mention Bitcoin. We need to, every time a rapper mentions Bitcoin, we have to like shower them with Twitter engagement. Like, that's go. my rule of thumb. Just like we'll propel them into the spotlight Action and Bronson. they're going to just keep coming Action out with Bronson more. Action might have been the first one in 2013. And uh, we had that other guy that Miles sent big us. Big Roy's, Bitcoins. Um, uh, Val, the first time Matt was on this podcast, he said, Bitcoin has a 5% chance of succeeding in the future. What, what? do you put it at? <laughs> Matt, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this was this was this was pre segwit I think. It's hard enough as it is. <laughs> Por qué? <laughs> Please explain. Oh no no no! Before he explains, I'm gonna ask him what his percentage is at now. I think it was post segwit Okay. Also, Matt gives us a lot of this crap on a day to day. Like, well, not I don't <laughs> want to say crap, but Steve will no, be like, fair. right? Like resident skeptic. Type yeah. of stuff, basically. I'm a fucking curmudgeon. Get off my lawn. Like, get the <laughs> fuck off my lawn. Like, Steve will be like, oh, okay, guys, like, how? what are we thinking for, like, the L2 timeline or something like that? Like, a few years or so, and Matt will just hit us with the seven years or something <laughs> like that. Get off my lawn. He's not afraid. So, well, not it's surprised. It's good to temper expectations. Right. But do you have any more optimism than you did two years ago? I want to hear a bounce percentage first. Dude, 100. Don't, don't give her the 100. 100. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 100. <laughs> the only right answer. I love it. <laughs> Where are you at now, Matt? I mean, I'm really inspired. You know, I don't know. I assume uh, I assume it's come up before on the podcast. Um, but I assume most of your readers have seen uh, usefultulips.org. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know, a great attempt at researching kind of real Bitcoin usage by people who not only don't go on crypto Twitter, but don't go on crypto Twitter because they're busy and have lives that are really hard, but also don't go on crypto Twitter because they don't want their government to know that they're like using Bitcoin because they're like 
getting black market rate for their currency in Nigeria and it's not okay. Um, so I'm, I'm really inspired by that. And that's, you know, being exposed to some of the folks who, who play in, in some of those markets on the sending side of the remittances in New York. Um, you know, those things are real people where Bitcoin's providing real utility today. Uh, not to say that hedging the U.S. dollar hyperinflating isn't real utility. It is. Hopefully, that's not the only position you have. Hopefully, that's not 90% of your net worth. But, like, that is real utility, but also providing real humanitarian utility in the sense that, you know, here's people who are using Bitcoin because they don't have anything else. Um, so I'm really inspired by Bitcoin really starting to fill, fill these niches. Uh, and filling the gaps because that's that's where bitcoin starts and maybe bitcoin doesn't go any further than that i don't know it probably won't go any further than that in my working lifetime maybe after i'm, I'm retired i don't know um, in the western world that's the western world i can retire at 35 <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> well if bitcoin does fill other niches and it goes to a million then of course i retire so Sad it might it might in fact be a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that might it'd be circular um but but so, so yeah i mean i'm i'm really excited about stuff like that where more excited than you were the first time you came on the podcast so we're at like seven yeah. percent now or something percent. <laughs> um, 6.15. 6.15%. 6.15%. no i'm i'm more optimistic um the you know, there's real people using it. The community seems to not be falling down the but Bitcoin needs to change for me rabbit hole at all. Um, we'll see what happens when fees go up again. Um, we'll also see what happens. I'm going to say something a bit heretical. How rare. I, I love that. <laughs> I am. Um, but we'll see what happens with some of the DeFi infrastructure. Um, that's not heretical, not, I don't think so. Not the DeFi infrastructure that's built around weird derivative products to create US dollars with... Eh, who the fuck cares? I mean, you know, people building people building apps that just use Tether, right? People building apps that use mostly Tether because it's sketchy as fuck and allows people to not KYC and use dollars, which is blatantly illegal in so many ways. But, you know, people in e being enabled to use these kinds of systems, which are going to have a better UX, right? They have, they already have brands like Mindshare, right? Someone in Burma knows what the fuck a dollar bill looks like. They know what a greenback looks like. And they want to use a greenback. And if someone says, like, here's greenback in an app form, you know, is that, you know, I don't think that's competitive with Bitcoin in the sense that, it's illegal and tether sketchy as fuck and like centralized being backed by like probably somebody's cashier's check and like maybe cash in a closet <laughs> somewhere. Like who the fuck knows what's behind tether at this point? Like there's probably some money there. It's probably mostly in like dirty dollar bills. Somebody's wiping their they ass could have with. Bitcoin. I don't fucking know. Right. They could have a bunch of it in Bitcoin. Um, but you know, it, it's not competitive in the sense that it is like, a worse trust model, but it is competitive in the sense that you can build a good UX around it. Um, and so I think, you know, going forward, that's going to be an interesting game to play of how do we 
the cryptocurrency community explain to users what the trust model is that they're opting into? I mean, shit, crypto Twitter can't even agree on what the fuck the trust model of these things is. How do we explain that to users in a way where they can make an informed decision and say, like, yeah, you know, I work three jobs and have two kids and have about 30 seconds to spend thinking about your app and I'm going to choose to use Bitcoin or I'm going to choose to use Tether or I'm going to choose to use whatever the fuck, die, I don't know. How do we make that a thing? And I think that's concerning given it's easier to cut corners and build good UXs and people, good UX speaks to people. Um, so I think that's concerning, but, but at a high level, Bitcoin has real momentum. The only question is if, the momentum stalls as it kind of has been the last year or so last two years if that momentum stalls and doesn't go anywhere what does that turn into what do you mean by stall doesn't feel like it's stalled the momentum developer wise hasn't stalled but the momentum kind of user base growth and mindshare growth has definitely stalled. Well, this is indicative of uh, well, Western world boom no. bus cycle. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah absolutely. The boom bus cycle, right? But what if the next one doesn't come? Yeah, that's a good question. It'll yeah. be here. Eh, I want to. Yeah, I mean, on like, that. but that's, but that's. I, I look. I think <laughs> it'll be here is an absurd, like absurdism, <laughs> right? Uh, What's well, a self fulfilling prophecy? A little bit, like you said earlier. Yeah, to some extent, but at the same time, um, you know, if the momentum stalls, the momentum can stall and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and if it doesn't kind of like the a lot of the interest in bitcoin has been price-based and for better or for worse that means we're hinged on the price right that means if the price goes up we're going to see more momentum but if the price doesn't go up we might not see more momentum and we might not see more adoption filling those niches is Something, you know, once you reach a certain amount of uh, good user experience and availability of these things and liquid, local liquidity pools, I think is really critical. Um, so this is maybe one of the other big questions I have going forward is like, how do we make it so that there's a local liquidity pool in Nigeria and Lebanon and these places where they're like, Lebanon does not have a local liquidity pool. Nigeria here has a little bit better, but... Lebanon does not. Why do the liquidity pools need to be local? Why can't people provide liquidity from outside these areas? Because you need cash, right? You need local. You need local oh. currency. You need oh, local that. bread. Like I need to be able to get some fucking bread in Lebanon with with Bitcoin, right? Well, How do I do that? The fiat side is a hard problem everywhere. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. It's easy in the West, right? The West yeah. has solid at this point solid local liquidity for Bitcoin. As long as you KYC. Yeah, you have to KYC. Well, you have to KYC or pay a heavy premium, yeah. 20%, 30%. But you can do it. You can do it without KYC. You go to a Bitcoin ATM, it's 20%. It's steep. Well, most of the ATMs have KYC here. Some of them, do. yeah, I guess most of them do now. I think the one on Second Ave, you can just put cash in and get You Bitcoin definitely out. put a phone number in, and it definitely filters burner numbers. Does it? I didn't realize that. Mm. <sighs> Val, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I could see it turning into some kind of intolerant minority thing where some populations in the world can only take Bitcoin for whatever reason, like their local currency is shitty. And then because of that, it kind of snowballs into something that everyone just has to accept. Um, and that's kind of like the hinge. But I also feel like we just need to work on 
like basically lightning UX. Like I don't think people should have to know what a channel is. And I think that's yep. that could also just be a big tipping point right there. Like, is that possible though? Like, will we ever? I think it's possible. Fuck yeah, yeah. kind of. Fuck see it. you. Yeah. Okay. Come on. <laughs> we already see it kind of in Phoenix. Have you played around with Phoenix yet? Async's uh, new wallet. I haven't spent too much time with it. It it makes some pretty big trade offs. Um, but but yeah, I mean, look, that's the future. Is where do you make the trade offs and right. how do you how do you play with these things? And I think it's really. It's not just them. There are several others doing it as well, but it's really exciting to see people really trying to play with the trade-offs. Like Phoenix Breeze. gives up a lot of routing privacy. Yeah, uh, it has kind of your remote, your next top nodes, probably run by Eclair, uh, do a lot of your routing for you, which, you know, if that's the trade-off they have to make to get you good UX, because they have the real on-the-ground experience. They have the real world. They know what the UX issues are because they have one of the most popular mobile apps. If that's the trade-off they're going to make, that they use a well-informed decision, great. And you use you use their Electrum server too. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That's a big trade-off. But if you go to their website and you go to the FAQs, they're like, this is not private at all. We can see everything you're doing. And like that's super important. Like You mentioned that earlier. How do we educate on the trade-offs? It. And the shitcoin model up until this point has been you completely disregard the trade-offs and you hide them, right? And, right. and that is not the route. Like uh, the, the ETH DNS thing. People should pops be taking. in the mind there. Like yeah. Tying your, your entire stash. I, can someone explain that to me? Like I couldn't. ETH, oh, like, no. Domain <laughs> names are fucking... Like, who has a problem with domain names right now? Well, you're talking to a domain name hoarder right here, so like, you could probably better... They seem to kind of be fine. <laughs> like, no one really has... No, I only have, like, a few... Uh, you definitely. I have like ten, maybe fifteen. Come on, that's hoarder status. That's not hoarder status. People have like hundreds of domains. I have like seventy or something. There you go. See, Jesus that's Christ. like almost hoarder status. I have like twenty Ethereum proof of stake domains, and they're never going to switch to proof of stake, and they're just sitting there, just being worthless. But like, what? Like what? Current domains are fine. They work like yeah. if if there were like real about like domains were getting seized and censored left and right. Like all right, yeah, let's fucking go to whatever the fuck. But the Pirate Bay still has a domain name. You, you do you have any fucking clue how many global political resources were invested <laughs> in getting the Pirate Bay to not have a fucking domain name, and they still have the Pirate Bay.org. Like for fuck's sake, they haven't lost their main domain name. Like why are we worried about this? Well, with 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 this ENS or whatever Ethereum name service, like it's not actually a domain name. The idea is like a human readable address, basically. Right. Um, which it has its own issues, Is especially in terms pages? of privacy, yeah. because like then they they're linking it to their Twitter and stuff, and you see all of their payments. Um, Why yeah. did no one ever build? I mean, there were attempts to build, but no one ever integrated um, just using normal domain names to expose Bitcoin addresses. Yeah, like via DNS, DNSSEC signs records. How would that work? Yeah, you just make the like. Well, the the trivial way that some people proposed, which has all the SSL PKI issues associated with it, um, was you literally just have like a well-known domain name. Like if, if you want to send money to Bitcoin.ninja, you would look up like uh, your your wallet would automatically load like Bitcoin address dot Bitcoin dot Ninja. It would look at the website. The website would just be an address and it would pay the address. It wouldn't be an XPub. It would just be a static address. Yeah, maybe it'd be an, I don't know. But well, like, I mean, the nice thing, thing if it's if it's a, a website, it could give a different address every time you request. But yeah. um, uh, like these things 
there were attempts at it, but no one ever really integrated it. There's technical issues, but not that many technical issues. Yeah, and that issues. was like the first shitcoin, right? Namecoin. Isn't that what they were trying to do? The very first. Yeah. That was the first. But they were doing but they were doing the ENS style. It was on the blockchain. It wasn't like just literally look up like I have a domain name, I have an email address. You just look up what the emails associated public key is. Well we've seen moves like Casa and other proprietary apps try and add like human readable names. Mm. Um Yeah, via their own proprietary database though. Yeah. We already have domain names, they're great. Are these human readable addresses uh, essential for the success of these systems? It's pretty great. Although, you know, especially I said the US QR codes. That's that's Everyone one thing I brought up. QR that's codes what, that's one everything. thing I brought this up two episodes ago. I brought on a, a an old coworker from Barcelona Sports. Uh, Donnie does. He lives in China in Shanghai. Yeah. He was explaining like the QR uh, UX experience over there is like yeah it's fucking incredible and it's Did like you know, how is it not here yet I was fucking paying someone the other day I was like you know what would be nice if Venmo had like QR code support and then I opened the Venmo app yeah, and like did. it's right in fucking front of you there's a fucking QR code in Venmo they it's all just no it. one uses it right well, that's that's the one thing I love about Lightning is just pointing and paying like it's so easy well the other thing about Lightning is that a lot of these schemes and stuff involve interactivity. And your lightning node's already always on, right? So maybe we will see more come forward in that regard because because of that. You know, also yeah, let's not rely on that. Let's not build more on always online. Like this whole like I love look. Well, didn't you just wrong, suggest an always online every- option? No, I mean you could have you could do it via, for example, DNS records where oh, right. it's an XPUB or a lightning node public key where you could send a payment without necessarily having an online counterparty with lightning you would have to but there's there's other issues the whole like look i love the casa folks i love the whole idea of running your own home node look i run i don't know 20 servers no last count i had like 40 something servers i i have too many goddamn servers i have a problem (laughs) but like no one's gonna do that like but not, you just need Uncle Jim to do it, and no, then you connect to Uncle like, Jim's I, node. No, what? <laughs> Why not? Why not? The whole, like, I'm going to find someone who's running a server, like, especially in Lightning. Oh, my internet's down. I got breached, and I lost my money. That sucks. Like, come on. These things, like, the whole idea of, like, everyone's going to have some kind of home server. Like, look, we already have a computer in our pockets. Everyone has a fucking computer in their pocket. Some people have a computer on their wrist. Use that. Stop, like, the whole, like, oh, I'm going to have an always online computer at home. Most people are never going to do that. Most people don't even know a family member who's going to do that. So are you bullish on things like AB Core? I'd know about running a full note on your phone. But, yeah, in, in, like the, in principle, they'll, like, run it on your fucking phone. Yeah. I just don't want to be at the mercy of Apple killing my process randomly when I'm supposed to be. Or removing right. you from the app store. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're like, we're going to have to find a way to like approach those kinds of issues. Um, uh, removing from the app store, I'm a little less concerned about. But I don't know. killing Ours- your process, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like a real, that is the issue ultimately. Today, yeah. Like the technical issue is like process gets killed left and right. But like we can figure out how to build systems around that. I just don't buy that we have to like, uh, everyone has to buy additional hardware just to use Bitcoin. 
You don't remember when like Bitcoiners were like shooting shooting their phones with guns and filming the videos or whatever because <laughs> the App Store. Like I I, I went through that. a phase there in like 2015 where I just I thought that Apple was never going to add Bitcoin wallets to the App Store. But they did. I know. I'm still in, I'm still in shock. And remember, I'm, a lot of people in the world don't have a home internet connection. Fair. Right. And I don't just mean in the world. I mean like most double digit percent of Manhattan of New Yorkers, not Manhattan, New Yorkers, people in New York City, not New York State, New York City don't have a home broadband connection. They have mobile internet and that's it. But they could use mobile internet for their home node. No, they fucking won't. <laughs> what the hell? No. No, because it's on their phone, and they're not going to pay an extra add-on to their bill to run a Bitcoin note at home. I just really like the Uncle Jim idea. I've like been all about it lately. I just don't. I don't that's buy and that's it. been one of my theses too. Is that like this is going to be a hardware revolution as much as it is a software revolution? Like I think you need to change human I, tendency. Right? It already, it's already becoming one in the sense that availability of secure elements is better, but it's not purely a hardware revolution in terms of people running things at home it's also you know look at the htc phone it has problems that don't necessarily recommend putting your money in it but like here is a real hardware company saying this is a legitimate market we're going to address it and we're going to build something targeted at this yeah they're like a failing and it's just built company. into the rest of your phone yeah so well, is it like our adversarial she's market position but so it's like our adversarial mindset uh, closing us off to uh, companies actually wanting to help Bitcoin. Right. Like if you're coming at it from phones should have built in super native Bitcoin support, <laughs> I can get behind that <laughs> tentatively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we have to draw. Uh, it's really healthy that we have a large part of the community who's really vocal about super 110% self-sovereign, running everything yourself, whatever. I appreciate that. I love that. That's me. It speaks to me. I do that. That's great. And I appreciate that we should get as many people as possible doing that. But that's never going to be everyone. And we're never going to reach the world doing that. And we're never going to grow beyond the size we are now doing that. Yeah, there's a reason why Blue Wallet is the most popular Lightning Wallet. Right, and it's, it's custodial. custodial. So, yeah. like, how right, do we like build everyone forwarding the torch that. was using Blue Wallet. Blue Wallet, left right. and right, yeah. 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 Uh, um, oh, God. I forgot another question. What was I going to go into? God damn it. You're just off your game today, Marty. No, no. Well, you guys are having such an interesting conversation while I'm, like, trying to remember my, is, my question. I'm just like... Why don't you take notes? Is it about how you... you take notes while we're... Recording podcasts. I don't take notes. Is it bad how you're worried about Ellen Big having 50% of the network still? Does he? Yeah. He does? Yeah. Who I didn't know cares? that. Um, it's not mining power. Do you know who Ellen Big is? No. Yeah. Who the fuck cares, though? We'll talk about it off air. It, it, like, it doesn't matter, though. Like I don't know who Ellen Big is, either. I, it, it does not matter who the fuck Ellen Big is. Or do they... Are they min cut, right? Like, if you take all of the Ellen Big nodes offline, can people all of a sudden not reach each other? Maybe on the not. Network? Yeah. That's not true. So, who the fuck cares? I mean, Pierre, not to FUD, but Pierre moved to Texas. 
<laughs> and people were having payment failure errors. Okay, and 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 our node, our node got way more payments that day than any other day, and it was because Pierre moved. We didn't talk about that, but yeah, that this happened. is the first time we talked about yeah. it on air because I was waiting for him to get his node back set up before I, I look. I mean, this is the kind of thing that in. like resolves itself over time. As as lightning gets bigger, you get more of these nodes. The min cut, like there's. All the research is pointing at the min cut keeps growing. Like the number of nodes you have to cut right. offline in order to have payment failures keeps growing. Great. I remember my question. Going back to AJ Towns. His you you're going like you were going way back in time at this point, Marty. No, no, you just forgot that question for too long. <laughs> at some point, there's a statute of limitations on questions. No, the statute of limitations is not over yet. It's about adoption. Is his blog post on adoption? Like his funnel. Did you read that? Oh, it was great. Yeah, yeah. that was great. Book. So what do you think about, like, do you think, what was it, like, one and a half percent would be running full nodes at the bottom of that funnel? I don't remember the numbers. Yeah, look, I mean. Is that sufficient? Is his funnel sh- sufficient um, to be completely distributed or sufficiently distributed? I don't know, but look, we can only do the best we can, and it is important that people or pushed to run a full node, but at the same time, human like humans have lives, most of them. And we're all living, so we all have lives. They're busy like doing things. And if we can't serve a world where ninety something percent of Bitcoiners pay only marginal attention, ninety percent of people who use Bitcoin, like use Bitcoin cryptocurrency for some utility that they're driving on a day-to-day basis if we can't support 95 percent of those users not knowing shit about crypto twitter not knowing any of the latest drama not knowing anything about a soft fork happening not knowing anything about anything any of this then we're fucked we're not going to grow well no but that, 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 that's not bad like that, that's like five percent is huge two and a half percent is huge for most things yeah that's what i say is that sufficient do you think uh, like Luke, Luke would say that maybe is not sufficient. No, he right? would say it's absolutely not sufficient. Yes, is what Luke would say. Right. I, look, if, if it's the best we're gonna do, it's the best we're gonna do. Let's build a. Is it good enough? A, is, I don't care if it's the best we're gonna do. Is it good I, enough? I don't give a shit. I give a shit about building a system that's real and providing real utility for real humans. I don't give a shit about like. I think the way we do, like, how do we maximize utility for people using Bitcoin? I think an important part of that is resistance to change and, like, difficulty of, like, uh, overhauling the system out from under user. All these things are, like, really critical in that. But at the end of the day, my goal is providing utility. And so if we end up in a world where, like, ah, but we can't have more users because we need more users running nodes, then, like, we're not providing the utility. Good point. I think there's like a middle ground here. Like there's like little things that can be done that lessen the effect of not that many people running uh, full sovereign stacks. So like stuff like BTC pay, like I could see a future where we have like a bunch of hosted BTC pays that are run by a bunch of different companies. So instead of just like one bit pay, we have like competition in that space. And then like uh, Rodolfo right now, the cold card, they're going to come out with this like HSM firmware. Um, where basically like people can be BitGo and you can be like BitGo for just a sign. small, like you have like a hundred companies and you're their BitGo. And that's just your signing just, transactions for people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like the, the co-signer on their transactions. Um, and then we can have competition there. Uh, so you don't have like these, these big ass entities like BitPay just like breaking Bitcoin. Yeah. No, that makes sense too. 
That's crazy. We're discovering this as it goes on, right? It's an it's an emergent system, right? Like as it emerges, uh, as more data and more use cases emerges, we're we're finding more about the limitations of the system. What do you think, Val? <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with Matt, and also I I feel like we could have a world where like pretty much everyone's anonymously using Bitcoin. No one knows what you're transacting about. Everything's totally private, but still only like AJ Town says, 1.5% of people are running a full node. But I feel like that's... Yes! Right? <laughs> but I'm I feel down. like that's also... I, agree. I think I agree. Right? That's a cool part about Bitcoin, though, is that the incentives align so that even if, say, like I'm connecting to someone who's running a full node, the incentives are such that they'll keep running an honest full node. And basically all it takes is one like false transaction for me to find out about, and then I'll just switch to someone else who's using a full node. And... Who's running the Electrum servers right now, though? Well, hopefully you're running them yourself. I'm happy you said that, though, but like, to go back in Bitcoin's history a little bit and point to an instance where it's not full node or full node concentration or concentration of full node aspect, but a mining pool aspect with Ghash we saw when they got 51, over 51%. And individual miners leaving that and Ghash come out and be like, hey, we're going to make sure we're below 40%. And... Obviously, it died because it got too too powerful. But um, there are precedents. They were a little uh, not the most competent, <laughs> and they double spent a couple transactions. I don't know that they, they, they appeared they? to have done it on accident, just because they were actually incompetent. But that is somewhat unrelated. But is that, is that a good example of the system sort of routing around uh, a centralization aspect? Gosh. Maybe. Maybe. Really? Yeah. It's a long time ago. It would uh, have happened with Stratum V two. Would not have happened with Stratum V2. What's are we on? about to go into a whole Stratum V2 conversation Why right not? Now? Are we? Are we <laughs> we're two hours we're in. two hours in. <laughs> Let's start a whole new topic. Here we go. <laughs> What's going on with that? Do they have specs? Is it just the pr- proposal? Yeah, yeah spec, specs there. Um, no, no, the, the, the proposal was very much uh, most of a spec. Um, yeah, you know, I, I admittedly have been a little heads down on LDK um, and have not been working too hard on it but i know the slush bull folks are still still hammering it out you know that, that's out last week i think right or two weeks ago uh, yeah yeah i know they're i know they're working towards you know they keep working towards it uh in terms of implementing on their firmware and on and on their pool um it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of redoing stuff um so i don't know what their timeline is i haven't spoken with them in a bit um but i understand at least loosely that there's things coming on the immediate horizon what was that conversation like making compromise between better hash and strategy too oh great i mean look at the, in, at the end of the day uh jan and pavel their their ceo and cto uh slush pool are technologists who care deeply about bitcoin um who you know, super smart guys, a little bit of a language barrier, whole English check thing. It, it took a little bit of a te- technical language barrier is harder than language. Like their, their English is great. Uh, certainly my check is, um, well, non-existent. So <laughs> if anyone is to blame, it's me. But, uh, you know, technical language barrier is doubly hard. Um, but, you know, they're, they're technologists who care a lot about it, who are really smart guys. Um so it was all about like just making sure everyone understood where everyone was coming from, and then I think the decisions were usually pretty. Either it was like flip a coin because everyone knows that both decisions are good or bad, or 
everyone was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, I see what's going on. All right, let's 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 just do that. But the better hash parts of Stratum V2 are, like, optional parts of the spec, right? Yeah, largely. I mean, they were, they were largely optional in better hash, too. Um, look, at the end of the day, this goes back to the immediately prior discussion, most miners are not going to run a full node. <laughs> it's fucking hard. They're not going to do it. They're technically only... Well, no. They're technically fucking incompetent. They don't have anyone there who knows shit about tech. They like, But, like, hey. that's fine. Like, most miners are business people who negotiated a deal for good power. They paid someone to set up a farm. The farm now sits there and runs. Right. They're, they don't know shit about the technology... But we just maybe need- they should have to, but they don't. They hey, don't know shit. Hey, I will. I will come out of a limb here and say I think the the learning curve of the miners is, or not the learning curve, the the uh, understanding of Bitcoin by the miner community is leveling up a little bit. It is. It's gotten a lot better than it was ten years ago, five years ago, but it's still. It's, on average, pretty low. Yes. Uh, there's there's outliers of some large miners who really fucking get it, but that's the minority. Yeah, most of them are just plugging machines in to get Bitcoin. But yeah. if we get like 20% of miners to run their own nodes and like use better hash, Stratum V2, uh, but like the better hash aspects of Stratum V2, like that's a significant improvement, right? We don't need all it's of them to use it. compared yeah. to today. Massive. And they have a fin- like a strict financial incentive to actually get their shit together. As as opposed to someone who's you know in Nigeria, whether or not they're going to run a node or not is is less of a financial incentive. They have like the privacy incentive. Maybe it's an indirect incentive, right? It's kind of a like, well, Bitcoin is better off if you do this, so your investment in Bitcoin is better off if you do this, so you should do this. But this is like a really for someone who does not have a deep understanding of Bitcoin, that's not a obvious argument well like if if let me let me rephrase it like if uh if pool operators started to act out of line um i think it'd become pretty obvious to the miners uh the individual miners like oh shit like i need i i have this tool where i can put a gun to this guy's head like i should do that for example the pool operators were to get together and sign an agreement (laughs) where they were going to have 12 (laughs) percent of the mining reward gets stolen from the miners and handed to an opaque entity in Hong Kong that's going to pay who the fuck knows who, then yeah, they, they would probably learn up real quick. Agreed. And that's what we saw with GHash. Not, not, not the specific use case, but uh, the pool they were in uh, would not be in their long-term interest if they, not, if they did not leave or act. Now people can act within that pool. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, like the... The argument that people make about pools all the time, which has some validity to it around, like, look, miners can just move on to a new pool. It, like, it's that's true. That is a thing that they can do. Um, you know, Stratum V2 is obviously way, way, way better than that if miners are running their own full nodes. But, like, that exists, and that's true. And, like, you can move on to a new pool, and especially if you're actually paying at least half a bit of attention to the business you're in, then... Hopefully, you'll be aware enough to, to do something like that. Well, GS was a little different because there was a lot of cloud mining involved there where you couldn't move. Like, you owned contracts. with You own, you bought the hash through GHash, G-hash? and then you no, couldn't G-hash move. GHash was way before that. People GHash was cloud mining. GHash was like... GHash.io? Yeah, that was like... It was cloud seven mining. Seven years ago. 
Yeah. It was no fucking cloud mining. It's been long. No, it was cloud mining. They had cloud mining. Because you could trade the contracts P2P, not P2P, but they had an exchange on GH.io where you can trade the contracts. Seven years ago. Yeah. They were like the best, not the best, but they were the the most successful cloud mining operation that's ever existed. What the fuck? How did I miss this whole thing? But people did move out quickly. Like Peter Todd, you don't remember when Peter Todd freaked the fuck out about this? He's like, I I sold 50% of my Bitcoin. Look, I remember when GHash had. 50-something percent of hash power. I did not fucking realize they had cloud mining. Yeah, cloud mining was like their main part of their operation. Uh, Probably the majority of their pool was cloud mining. And then then they had no fee for the the miners outside to join them so that they were able to swell their hash rate. Were they just hemorrhaging money, though? the, The key was they... Not only were they selling the cloud mining contracts at, like, unprofitable rates, but they had this exchange where you could then resell your contract to other people... And then they took a commission on the on the trade, and and you couldn't obviously you can't trade that contract outside of GHash, so they had a monopoly on those trades Oof. between it. So they just double dipped. So I think they actually did pretty Good well until they model. didn't. Yeah. 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 They they dissolved pretty quickly after that. It's just like it yeah, was like was zero to sixty, <laughs> and then nothing. Yeah. That's I kind of respect making cloud mining work. <laughs> like I right, thought yeah. that was just not a thing right. under any circumstances. No one should ever cloud mine. Don't freaks. ever cloud mine. Right, don't buy those fucking guys. <laughs> just, a scam. <laughs> just a fucking scam. No, but it, that's actually a testament to slush too. The fact that they've survived for as long as they have, first mining pool ever, and they're still here today. And it's a testament to them being yeah, and pure good mining actors. pool too. They're not like you know a lot of the other mining pools who have a dominant market position or like have a dominant market position because they have a dominant market position. And for example, selling hardware and are really like, no, 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 you want to buy our hardware? Yes, you you mine on our pool too. And they're able to use slush doesn't yeah. fucking sell hardware. Yeah, and they're sitting there like, no, we get this. We're just gonna provide a good product. We're gonna you know get on them. Yeah, shout out to slush. Um, I'm about to get yelled at by my wife. We gotta get going here. Do we have any final thoughts on LDK, what you guys are working on, the state of Bitcoin? What was that? What was that, Matt? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Not related. <laughs> Contribute to Rust Lightning. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, yeah, we want to make it a really welcoming experience in terms of one of the easier uh, Bitcoin project, open source projects to contribute to. Um, and we're really serious about that. So, you know, what's the IRC channel going to be called? Uh, you can join pound rust dash Bitcoin on Freenode. Uh, there's not always a lot of rust lightning discussion, but it, it, it'll always be on topic there. Um, and go to github.com slash rust dash Bitcoin slash rust dash lightning. We'll link that for you freaks out there. (laughs) Val, what about you? Any, uh, any Final thoughts on this conversation? Besides contribute to Rust Lightning, uh, thanks for having us. This is super fun. It's always fun. Matt's, uh, again, the most tenured guest on this podcast. Look, as long as you keep giving me free beer, I don't ask questions. Yeah, Pilsners (laughs) will be flowing. Don't worry. I have a final thought. Go for it. Motherfucker never gave us a percentage. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> what is it? Damn it, I thought I got away with that one. I hummed and hawed for so long, I thought you totally forgot. I bought that. Uh, 40. Ooh, Holy shit. Ooh, An 8x right. improvement from two years ago. 40% we're going to win. And not Liz. I like I that. Like, I like that too. It's not, it's, not, it's not over 50 yet. I'd 
but we're providing real utility right now. Very bullish. And we're going to end it on that great note. Peace and love, freaks.